Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B Y T E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This episode of the Bears Talk Underground is brought to you by the Spotify Green Room. Formerly known as the Locker Room app, guys, Spotify Green Room is a live audio-only sports talk platform, free to download and use. Talk to me, other fans, athletes, and insiders in real time. It's perfect for watch parties, debates, post-game breakdowns, and reacting to breaking news. Share your own experiences on the app. Start or join ongoing conversations. Watch games together. React to the biggest news, rumors, and games. And of course. I host a weekly show every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. on the Spotify Green Room. The Bears Talk Underground presents Club 34-7. Be sure and join me. Come through and talk with me live. All you need to do is download the Spotify Green Room app free in the iOS or Android app store. Create a profile, link to your Twitter, and join into the group. Follow me to be notified when my room goes live. And, of course, every Wednesday night, 7 p.m. Central, 8 o'clock Eastern, is when Club 34-7 uh, hits the air. So be sure to join in on the fun, guys. You don't want to miss it. And be sure to follow me on the uh, on the app so that you'll know anytime that I go live because uh, we'll be doing watch parties during the preseason. We'll be doing uh, knee-jerk reactions during halftime uh, during the season and things like that. Lots to do. This app opens up so many possibilities for interaction between me and you, my loyal audience. So be sure and download the Spotify Green Room app wherever you get your apps. <laughs> Welcome back, guys. Here we are for the finale of our opponent preview series. Uh, of course, ending things with our beloved Chicago Bears and our great friend from Locked on Bears, Lauren Cox, will be joining us here uh, in just a moment to get that preview started. Um but I wanted to announce, uh, I wanted to say two things uh, before we get to it. Number one, um, thank you guys uh, for listening. Uh, the response to this year's, uh, to the return of the opponent uh, preview series has been uh, uh, great, actually. So I appreciate the, um, the love and support uh, for the show and, uh, you know, cranking them out for you guys. Uh, like I said, this is that, uh, that wasteland of, of the football year that uh, you just can't wait for it to be over with. And thanks to these shows and the interviews and the people that I've had a chance to uh, meet or talk to again and uh, everything to get ready for this year has made the time fly by. Uh, and now we're, you know, a week and uh, just a, like eight days away from, from training camp getting started from the Bears reporting and uh, another couple of weeks on top of that before we get to see the Bears in preseason action against the Dolphins on the 14th, which of course would likely mean the debut of our new quarterback, Justin Fields, uh, in front of the Chicago faithful. So uh, very much looking forward to that. And the other announcement is, and I don't remember if I announced this during the last episode, but um, there are going to be two more shows. Uh, I got Ross Jackson, who we all know from uh, Locked On Saints, but also does the Locked On NFL uh, podcast uh, to come back. And we're going to preview the AFC and the NFC 
Uh, so next Monday, we'll do the AFC. Next Thursday, we'll do the NFC, and that will lead us up literally right up because I think the Bears report on the 30th and start training camp on the 31st. So we're taking it literally right up to the start uh, of training camp. Then I'll be taking a little little break after that. And then the next show after the NFC preview next Thursday will be the week one preseason review episode. We talk about the debut of Justin Fields and, uh, you know, what this – and the debut of Andy Dalton and, uh, you know, Tevin Jenkins and Larry Larry Baram and all those guys. Can't wait to, uh, to, to get that started and, and see how this is all going to go. I mean, granted, what does the preseason actually mean? But, you know, it'll be nice to see it and there'll be fans in the stands unless <sighs> – COVID's flaring up again, so who knows what it could actually mean. But, uh, you know, as of this moment, there's going to be, you know, we're allowed to have 100% capacity, and I believe even for a preseason game, the first Bears home game since 2019, probably pretty widely attended, I would think. So um, anyway, so again, thank you guys for listening uh, to these shows. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, doing them, the the new guests that we've had on the show, meeting them and getting to know them. Looking forward to having them on uh, during the season. And, um, you know, we might be done with our opponent previews, but we're doing a league preview, AFC next Monday, NFC next Thursday before training camp starts the next, starts in like 24 hours later. And uh, then we'll be back with the preseason. And then we are pretty much stuck with me uh, until the season ends, whenever that might be. So, uh Anyway, let's go ahead and, and get to it because Laura and I, we're going to be at this. You know how we can be when he and I get together and we're talking about the Bears. I hope you're comfy, got a drink, got some popcorn, some snacks, got your feet up. Uh, sit back and enjoy. It's myself and Lauren Cox previewing our beloved 2021 Chicago Bears on the Bears Talk Underground. So let's get to it. Hang up the And here we are. We finally reached the pinnacle, the end of the road of our opponent preview series for 2021. And of course, that means we have arrived to our beloved Chicago Bears. And of course, what would a talk about the Bears be without our good friend from Locked On Bears, Lauren Cox? Lauren, welcome back, man. Thanks for having me back. It's it's good to be back, and it's good to be back to like what feels like a normal off season. Like, yeah. holy crap, it's July and we, we like, we're getting ready for a season that we know is going to happen. Absolutely. Yeah. It's uh, and we're going to have full stadiums now. So all those, you know, like watching the highlight films with all the, the depressing empty stadiums in the background, like the NFL was in peril last year or something like that. <laughs> all that's over with, you know, there's going to be butts in the seats, uh, come the, come the start of the, uh, come the start of the season. So I am definitely, uh, Looking forward to that because if there is definitely a sport out there that uh, really uses the crowd and, and things like that, football is is probably one of the main ones actually. So and it starts with training camp too. You know what I mean? Like yeah. Last year, this is this is sort of the first year fans will get to see Hallis Hall for training camp instead mm-hmm. of Olivet Nazarene University. They moved out of Bourbon A last year, but no yeah. one got to see it. So right. It'll be fun. So real quick. You know, we, we had you on at the end of the uh, end of the season after the uh, after the playoff loss uh, to the Saints. So we'll just bolt right through uh, 2020 real quick. Um, 
You know, it, it's it's it. We all thought that the, the thought that the, the the season had a relatively easy start for a change for the Bears instead of having to run a gauntlet of like four playoff teams from the year before. We had the Lions, then the Giants, and then Atlanta before running into the Colts to finish up the first four games, and that pretty much went the way I think most of us thought it would that the Bears would win those games. It was damn ugly in all three of those wins. They were not as easy as you know probably anybody thought they should be, and then of course the Colts. Uh, was that first loss uh, of the year and um you know the it, it, after that we got that big win over Tampa in week number 5 on Thursday night our first win ever uh, over Brady and then the win over Carolina and I know that when we got into that three game stretch with the Rams the Saints and the Titans we were all like yeah that very well could be a three game losing streak right there but it wasn't Lauren it wasn't a three game losing streak it was the start of a six game losing streak because after we got done losing to Tennessee which was one of our worst showings of the year we doubled down and had an even worse showing on national television on Monday night uh, against the Vikings before uh, the bye week I mean it's just like going into the bye that like we could not have been in in worse shape uh, as a football team you'd think with the transition of Nick Foles in there it could have gone smoother but yeah it just seemed like there was so much going on with you know the offensive line yeah injuries and changing into that lineup here and there I think somewhere in that stretch was when David Montgomery got hurt so you had Cordero Patterson as your number one running back for at least a game in there where he kind of had to shoulder the load and you sort of were transitioning from Cole Komet and Jimmy Graham it was just like for a team that felt so much like they were trying to go all in on winning in the playoffs and trying to make some kind of run with Foles or Trubisky so much was at flux even yeah. halfway through that season, and that's part of why you get that six-game losing streak. Yeah, well, we weren't done with it yet. After the bye, we were at a four-game uh, losing streak. We go to Green Bay on Sunday night football. The return of Trubisky, because the offensive line was so awesome against Minnesota that we got Foles injured, so Trubisky forced back into duty after being benched week three uh, against the uh, against the Falcons. Doesn't actually play badly uh, in that one. Uh, had a few um, hero ball moments where he threw some interceptions in that game. But overall, it was like, hey, you know, Trubisky didn't look too bad uh, in that one. It was better than I thought it was going to be, especially against uh, Green Bay. We ran the ball a lot better uh, in that one. We had our first starting lineup without Rashad Coward in it, God help me. And <laughs> it just seemed like it was addition by subtraction getting that idiot out of there. Um, we still lose 41 to 25, so it wasn't very pretty. And then the following Sunday, Lauren, you know, uh, you and I, we've talked about this one. I've, I beat it to death for a couple of weeks because this was the game against the Lions. It's their first game with their interim head coach because they fired Matt Patricia. So basically they're phoning in the rest of the season. You know, they're playing out the string. They're starting over in 2021. They just had to remove Patricia now. Uh, we're at home. Uh, this is our first, you know, winnable game in probably like three or four weeks. And we have a 10-point lead going into the fourth quarter, and we somehow managed to bungle it uh, in such a way that um, I would not have been shocked at all if I woke up that Monday morning, Lauren, to find out that Pace and Nagy had been given their pink slip overnight. Yeah, that was the moment I think we all were most questioning it. Right? I mean, like, it's one thing, the Packers game kind of felt bad because – First game after the bye week, the Bears always kind of struggle. And right. Even though Mitch Trubisky played better, Rodgers just tore up this Bears defense, and it felt like, oh, man, 
defense is now off the map, but then to lose to Detroit in that specific way, that was really like the, the peak of the, the fire Matt Nagy, fire Ryan Pace type movement. It didn't seem like it was really the Bears style to make the move in season then. And, I mean, obviously they're still around. Apparently the three games they won after that were enough to, yeah. you know, calm some of the fears perhaps of ownership. But that that's where it felt about as close to rock bottom. When your defense is giving up 400 yards to the Lions after mm-hmm. they've fired their head coach because they've just been so bad all season. And right. they start to put it together against, again, your it's not, you know, it's not just Trubisky and the Bears offense struggling because that's kind of always been there. But that was where the defense was really like on its heels. And it, it just really felt like the team had lost any sense of any kind of identity that it, we thought it might have. Yeah. And, and, you know, and one thing that I've talked about was what made was like, of course, I'm upset. We lost that game. We had the 10 point lead, you know, two two score lead in the fourth quarter, which is basically just like more than our defense would usually need. Instead, we give up the two touchdowns, including Nagy for some reason on third and long dropping Trubisky back in the pocket, which is not what you're supposed to do with Trubisky. We found that out the hard way over the last uh, four seasons. He gets strip sack and that leads to the game winning touchdown. It was Monday that really put me over the top, Lauren, because it went from, you know, all the feelings and thoughts that I had on the game. Then on Monday, I start listening to all the review podcast, the Locked On Bears show. I listen to Hogan Johns. I'm watching the clips of the uh, NBC Sports uh, Chicago show that uh, that Briggs and uh, Alex Brown and, and Olin Krutz do uh, on Sunday nights after the game. I'm watching that on, on YouTube. And what drove me batshit crazy, Lauren, was that from me to you, to Hogan Johns, all the way up to the three Hall of Famers that do that show, all of us had the same opinion as to what went wrong, why were we doing this, so on and so forth, and it enraged me because if it's so obvious to so many people, from me, the fat guy on the couch, all the way up to the future Hall of Famer in Olin Krutz, why is it? Why was Nagy so oblivious to it all. It's like, how could something so obvious to so many people be, you know, uh, completely out of sight uh, for Nagy? And that's where I was just like over the over the top pissed off about how that game was lost because like the one person who needs to see it was completely blinded to it. For me, when it hits that point, especially with some of those former players that, you know, they tend to be, for the most part, very protective of yeah the team. You're and, right. Because you know, they know a lot of the guys and the coaches and you know, it, like, there's occasionally like disgruntled former players that are ready to bag on the team at every moment. But especially, you know, some of the guys you talked about there at the NBC Sports Show and Olin Krutz and Alex Brown and some of those guys, like for for them to all kind of get to that same point of like, yeah, this this feels like we're we're done here. You know what I mean? Like yeah. this is we've seen this too many times. Like that's when you know just the level that it's reached to when it, when those guys even start to turn a little bit on it and really kind of break that. It's not really like an honor code to not trash the the coach of the team that you played for but right it, it certainly is some kind of pressure there to you know to play nice when you're in, in a former player in the media talking about that team but yeah it's 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 one of those issues that I, I still kind of feel like in the back of my mind like how much has changed between now and then from for Matt Nagy like you know Justin Fields is here and we'll get into all this but like right you know it, it feels like the Justin Fields pick has sort of absolved Nagy and Pace of a lot of their past sins yeah. when there were four games left in the regular season and everybody was pretty much on board with firing everybody else. And I, and I don't know 
what we are supposed to have think will have changed since then. Yeah. Yeah, and we'll get into that, absolutely. But, um, you know, the, like you mentioned in the last four games, we won a three-game winning streak where our offense managed to take advantage of three of last year's worst defenses uh, in the Texans, the Vikings, and the uh, Jaguars uh, before running into Green Bay Week 17 at home. Week 17, not at Minnesota for a change. That was nice uh, to see. But, uh, you know, once again, it was Aaron Rodgers just picking apart Chuck Pagano's defense. I mean, and the one play that instantly comes to mind was where we had them deep in their own territory. And for some reason, uh, Chuck Pagano thought it would be a great idea to have Danny Trevathan go one-on-one with uh, Valdez Scantling uh, down the middle of the uh, field. But before he did that, he was going to fake the blitz first and then drop back into coverage with Valdez Scantling, who, for anyone who doesn't know, runs like a 4-2-40. So, of course, by the time Trevathan uh, turns around to get into coverage, he's already six steps behind Scantling, who is just just all he has to do is not drop the ball because, of course, Rodgers is going to put it right where it needs to be. Of course, he comes down with it 70-plus yards later. The game's been blown wide open, and everyone's like, what the hell was that on that one play? Like, it couldn't have looked any easier for Green Bay. And yet, I've, I've, it's so striking for me that you, you, you get to – you get a, such a terrible ending and such a terrible middle of that season, and, you know, you go to the playoffs with, and lose to the Saints. Yeah. And doesn't it still feel like the Bears kind of almost think of last season as a success because they made the playoffs? Like when when Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy say, well, we made playoffs two of the last three years. And, you know, obviously they say it's not good enough or that, you know, that they want to do better, that this was, you know, this was not the pinnacle. But like it it feels too often like even even in the face of such a horrendous ending against Green Bay and, and really only getting those wins against fairly bad teams and a Vikings team that was really just lost at that point in the season. Like, yeah, again, I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves here, but it's like, did the Packers game and the Saints game give you sort of any indication of, you know, steps in the right direction to look forward to, yeah. to this upcoming season or, or is everything we're going to look back on and say, well, they made some steps against the Texans and the Jaguars. So let's see what that brings us in 2021. Well, it just let's just fast forward to the I mean cuz we I had you on at, you know in the the review the year in review show and it was right on the heels of the the worst press conference I've ever listened to in my entire life. Uh, and, and one of the great bullet points in that, I don't remember if it was McCaskey or Phillips that served it up, but actually used the six-game losing streak as somewhat of a virtue of the season because we bounced back from it in order and to still be able to make the playoffs. So as far as those guys are concerned, I think the answer to your question is yes, but I think you and I would agree the answer is hell no. Yeah, it, it's, it's like it's it just feels like an organization that doesn't, like do, do they they don't know that they embrace mediocrity but they certainly don't prioritize winning championships the way that other teams do and to feel like you know that they're they're constantly up there having to defend Nagy and Pace as though everything was all right I mean yeah, yeah you, you're not going to get up there and, and pretend that it's not all right but like it just seems like there there's not enough of an admission of failure and of shortcomings it's sort of just like yeah we know it wasn't the super bowl but so we need to do better but it wasn't didn't seem like it's like ser- taking it seriously enough the issues that still lingered with this team but again h- how much of that can be forgiven when you when you get the most perhaps when you 
attempting to get perhaps the most important position right with a player that we'll talk plenty about. Yeah, I mean, and that, and that was something that you and I talked about at length uh, during the um, the year in review show was that how terrifying it was that these guys were going to be the ones to try to fix the quarterback position with all the good that they'd done for it in their time uh, with the organization. And the, the, really the only defense for Nagy was that Trubisky wasn't his pick. He was just basically the guy that had coached him the most uh, out of anybody else. John Fox was the lame duck coach in 2017 when Trubisky was drafted and didn't even want him uh, on the team. But, uh, you know, that, that's what was so terrifying about that was that, number one, we're desperate. We don't have cap space, uh, you know, or at least anything to do anything significant uh, anyway. So that means we're going to have to be trading up, you know, giving up trade assets and things like that to to get somebody. And that began, for me, one of the more embarrassing off seasons that I've ever been a part of as a Bear fan because it was what quarterback of the week during the offseason. It was Stafford. It was Derek Carr. It was Carson Wentz. It was, you know, even the biggest joke of it where I just we just kind of jumped the shark with the whole thing was the, the the short rumor about Ben Roethlisberger possibly being an option uh, for the <laughs> Bears. And, you know, obviously, the, you know, the Deshaun Watson talk and what the trade compensation for that would have to be. And then you and I had a, did, a, did actually an episode on all the quarterback uh, options and everything, talking about Russell Wilson. And, and just when we got, seemed like we got to a boiling point with Russell Wilson, word comes out that we're not trading Russell Wilson. That's not going to happen. And then basically like 10 minutes later, we signed Andy Dalton. And on its merits, it's not a bad signing. It's an upgrade from Trubisky. 99% sure it's an upgrade over Foles. Uh, as well but when you're talking about having one of the best quarterbacks in the league most likely a huge future hall of famer and he's it's basically a done deal he's coming to Chicago this is going to be it and then it doesn't happen and it's the red rocket that you end up signing in return that one hit with like a just like a thud you know it just it it did not go over well at all especially the now hilarious QB1 tweet that the Bears put out where they photoshopped Dalton into his bear uniform it feels obviously classic Bears anticlimactic, right? You get your hopes yes. up for some kind of quarterback expectations and then you end up a little bit disappointed. But I think at the very least, a lot of those discussions and, and some more than others at least gave us the strong indication, like more than just a whisper of a rumor, but like very sort of firm pursuit of a quarterback like Russell Wilson showed us that Ryan Pace was serious about this, right? Yeah. And this, it, it was, it's not like last year with Trubisky and Foles where, you know, they had, they were, they were maybe sort of pursuing Tom Brady a little bit, but no one really thought Tom Brady was going to come to the bears in that pursuit. And they were maybe kind of going after Teddy Bridgewater a little bit, but you know, there were a lot of different quarterbacks available last offseason. We mm-hmm. didn't get the sense that they were serious about, truly upgrading and replacing Mitch Trubisky. And they kind of, I don't know if settled is the right word. They certainly claimed that they, they wanted Nick Foles from the start, but clearly took not the top quarterback option that maybe would have been available for them. And in, in order to somewhat leave the door open for Trubisky and placate some of that and, and teeter this line between keeping him and moving on. So at least in this regard, they were trying to swing for the fences here. I mean, they, and as much as maybe we had some fears or concerns about mortgaging your entire future to get Russell Wilson. I mean, Russell right. Wilson is still at least would clearly be the greatest quarterback in Chicago Bears history. Like they, <laughs> they were, they were, they were aggressive and they were, they were swinging for the fences. And as much as you still land on Andy Dalton, at least you felt like they actually were trying harder and didn't just necessarily circle Dalton from the start and say, 
that's the guy we want. We want the mediocre guy. That's where we're setting our expectations and our target. Yeah. So, but it's like couple that with the um, even when we win, we lose debacle with with Allen Robinson, uh, because if we'd have let Robinson test the free agent market, we probably could have got him back for, you know, what would be a, a, a team friendly uh, deal. Instead, he sees the wide receiver market in free agency. And it's nowhere near where he thought he was, where he felt he was worth. I mean, that's why there was a contract dispute to begin with. He wanted in the range of twenty million a season. The Bears were were going to top out at about eighteen. I think if uh, Robinson actually hits the free agent market, and if he if the Bears end up signing him, it might be for sixteen, maybe seventeen at the most, instead of the eighteen to twenty that Robinson was looking for, because the market. I mean. These guys were only getting like 11 or 12, and I think Galladay was the most getting about 14 uh, or so with his deal with the with the Giants. So, I mean, so he panics and he signs his franchise tender. So we win because Allen Robinson is coming back, but we lose because he signed at 18.7 uh, million, which was the franchise average uh, for his position. So it was just one of those things where even when we win, we lose at the same time. It's frustrating, too, because – it's because it's the franchise tag and it's a one-year deal, right? I mean, his cap hit is that full amount. Right. Whereas, you know, if you sign him to a contract extension, even at whatever asking, I mean, you know, he wouldn't give him whatever asking price he wanted, but even at a twenty million dollar year contract, you know, you can lower that first year salary cap hit and push some of the money a little bit more in the future when presumably the salary cap is going to go back up again instead of shrinking because of the pandemic. Right. And they could have created so much more space for this upcoming season, for this offseason, to not have to have cut Kyle Fuller to save space, to at least give you the option to keep Charles Leno or Bobby Massey if you wanted to, to, to have, you know, or, or keep them through training camp and then cut them later on in the year if you just don't want them anymore, but not feeling like you had to make salary-specific moves because there's not really a football reason they cut Kyle Fuller. I mean, that was, that was just a loss right. of a quality player that they have not been able to replace. And, and signing Allen Robinson even to a deal that – averages more than you would like him to could have been more beneficial to trying to win now this season and, and bring some of that success in, which it was seemed to be clearly the emphasis until Justin Fields came into the equation. I mean, prior to Fields, it was like Nagy and Pace have to do everything they can to win games this season to save their jobs. And so you yeah. think signing Robinson to the extension just to get his cap hit down to have more talent on the roster right now to try and save their jobs would have been more of the effort and more of the emphasis there. But, in, but instead, like you said, they, they lose a little bit. They, they got their way, and it turned out their way was maybe not the best way. Right, exactly. So like I said, even when we win, we lose uh, on, on that one. But, you know, as I mentioned before, we didn't have a ton of salary cap space. I mean, nobody really did uh, this year. I was like, the, even in the preview episodes that I've done uh, so far, of the 13 teams or so that I've, that I've previewed already, I think maybe one, one for sure, but maybe two teams uh, looking at the transactions that they made, would I be able to consider buyers in the free agent market, like actually going out and, and getting players? And, and the, the, the only team, in my opinion, that really kind of qualified of the team the Bears are playing uh, this year would be the Cardinals. They went out and they got uh, J.J. Watt. They signed A.J. Green. You know, they, they went after some, some people that really try to improve uh, the football team to give Kyler Murray, you know, his best shot while they still got him under that rookie contract. 
uh, and everything. But the Bears, on the other hand, you know, did not have any money really to to play with. And so we we got a lot of guys that, you know, we got a, a couple of guys that opted out last year, some people that we probably would have wanted to sign like two or three years ago that were signing kind of on the back end now, kind of like a, a Desmond Trufant, uh, Christian Jones from the linebacker has come back after a few years in Detroit. Uh, Damian Williams opted out, the running back from Kansas City. I'm looking forward to seeing what he might be able to bring to the table uh, this year. But Demir Bird, uh, Jeremiah Atashu, that's one of the guys that we probably would have wanted to sign about three years ago uh, kind of thing. And it's just, you know, it was just one of those kind of off-seasons where the guys that were bringing in, the new faces and everything, you kind of got to look them up because they're not household names. It struck me as you were kind of going through some of those names, how long that list ended up, right? Yeah. Like at first, we didn't think the Bears would have much space at all to sign very much of anybody, and a lot of those signings ended up kind of stretching out a little bit through free agency. It was not going to be a, a upfront spending spree by any means, but right. like, you know, a couple of receivers, a couple of offensive linemen, you know, like you said, a running back, a couple of guys in the defensive line, a couple of cornerbacks. I mean, it ended up being not not a spending spree in terms of dollars, but part of just necessity having turnover on the roster having cut some players for those salary cap purposes it, it is somewhat of a, a fresh influx of, of new guys here and as I, as I sort of reflect on how we've been talking so far you know we, I think we've been a little negative about pace and Nagy and kind of like oh well fool me once and and how, why should we expect things to be different this year this time around that's that's one of the reasons why I mean you know it, it is going to be some new faces in there and we have seen to Ryan Pace's credit he, they they have had success finding some of these guys later in free agency on cheap one-year deals that maybe were overlooked or something about coming to Chicago is a fresh start and the right scheme for them. And the Bears find great production out of some of these veteran guys that just you, you weren't really expecting all that much when they came in. So it seems like the more of those you sign, the, the more likely, you know, it's more lottery tickets that one of them will end up being a really great high-value signing. And, and maybe you end up getting a couple of guys that – really outproduce those contracts and again make Ryan Pace look pretty good in, in one of these areas that he has had success yeah and, I mean and actually one of those guys was actually the the last the latest guy that we signed Mike Pennell that defensive tackle uh or nose guard type guy that uh um you know from Kansas City and you know there's a very high opinion of him and how is he still available and you know seeing tweets when we signed him uh, of you know Kansas City fans, I can't believe we let him go. Big Mike's going to do th- great things for you guys, you know, and so on and so forth. So, you know, this is somebody that Chiefs fans are definitely going to miss, and somebody that we signed for pennies on the dollar to come uh, for us. And God forbid if this Eddie Goldman saga that's been taking place the last few weeks doesn't go our way, him and and our seventh round pick are, are likely to be his replacement at nose tackle uh, this year. So. um you know, you're right. He does have a knack for that. And I've been asking all of my, my guests about, is there anyone in your undrafted free agent class that, you know, that you guys are particularly excited about? Somebody that you, you know, signed that maybe thought should have been drafted, so on and so forth, because that's a thing for us. It's not necessarily a thing for a lot of other teams. Their undrafted free agents tend to become nobody and nothing, whereas every now and then we find at least one or two diamonds in the rough that we sign, that went undrafted that turn into, you know, Bryce Callahan and Roy Robertson Harris and, and, and people like that. Uh, so it just, you know, that's, that's a credit to Nagy and, and what he can do in his scouting department and, and, you know, finding these guys. But, 
you know, in the end, with Nagy, I think, or with Pace, I should say, it, it really comes down to, like, you know, he's had a lot of hits, but his misses have been huge. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. So, as it I think maybe... Like quality versus quantity there, for yeah, sure. Yeah, it does. So, I mean, he's he's had a lot of hits, like the undrafted uh, free agents. Hell, one of them's going to be our starting center this year. Sam Mustafer was an undrafted uh, free agent. Alex Bars, who's going to be our swing guard uh, this year, was an undrafted free agent. And, you know, it's just, the, you know, we have plenty of those uh, to, to look back on. Hell, you know, when we had nine tight ends last year, a few of them were, were holdovers from undrafted rookie uh, classes and stuff like that. So, um, you know, he does nail, he does hit them, but the, some of his failures are, are the ones that stick out more than his wins do a lot of times. Quietly, we're up to seven tight ends uh, up to this point. They've been slowly <laughs> sneaking a few more on there, and I, I keep like looking around, like, well, are, we, are we doing this again? Like, seven tight ends and seven running backs on this roster right now. They are, they are, uh, they're loading up. But like, but to your point, a, a lot of those kind of young guys that it, I, there's a surprising number of players on this roster that we have seen some sort of flashes from to where we're still like, oh, maybe maybe Jesper Horstead could still you know get that right role and break out or maybe Artavis Pierce mm-hmm. you know he we a couple of runs from him you know you kind of go across the roster and find guys here and there where you're like oh yeah like that young player that was probably an undrafted free agent or a late round pick like there's a there's a lot of thought there and, and, and very few in between of the you know the Riley Ridleys of the world that you just it's been three seasons and you haven't seen very much of it and, yeah. and it, to, to your point like it's it's the fourth round pick that's not working well. The undrafted free agents are, or it's the first round picks that aren't working well. The the fifth round wide receiver is the one that steps into your starting lineup. Right. Yeah. I mean, and then uh, you know we we brought back Pat O'Donnell. Uh, we ex- we extended uh, Mario Edwards Jr., which I think was probably one of the best signings that we made uh, in the off season uh, this year. Dion Bush, Tayshawn Gibson uh, comes back. Artie Burns. He was injured last year. He wasn't an opt out, right? Because well, I think Correct. we had like a safety that opted out. Um, yeah, uh, Lucas. Lucas, Lucas. That's right. He's also back. He is back. Okay, good. So, but he opted. Artie Burns is the one that blew out his ACL. So he he resigns with the Bears. He's coming back. We resigned Afidi, uh, Patrick Scales, DeAndre Houston Carson. Oh, actually, I take that back. This is the best signing that we made in the offseason extending Cairo Santos. Um, that was a stroke of genius and something that had to be done. Like we would have burned uh pace at the stake if he didn't bring Santos back after the year uh, that he had last year. Do you, do you trust, do you fully trust Cairo Santo after one very, very good year? Absolutely. You know, what is he, 90 plus percent last year, something like phenomenal. that. Yeah. But like, I mean, it's, it's I not mean, so much about trust. It's just that after what we've been through, why wouldn't we want him to come back? You know, oh, why would 100%. So, yeah, that's that's I, more I that's back, more like, it. Like, you know, Parky had a decent year his first year and <laughs> kind of felt like, all right, like this is this is where the Bears want to be. And so it's like I, I I'm still waiting to see them the, them strung back to back a couple of good years. It doesn't have to be a 90, 94, 93 percent every single year. But I'm you know, it's, it's like, do you do you trust the one really good year in Chicago or the six or so years before that where he couldn't really stick on a team for accuracy reasons. You know, I'm, I'm certainly going to give him every opportunity and all the benefit of the doubt here, but sure. uh, it does feel nice to at least not be wondering who the kicker is even going to be. Right. Right. So, and then, you know, I think the other part that was kind of feeding the, 
Like, you know, as I mentioned before, the embarrassment of the quarterback saga and the different, even if you were remotely, like remotely semi-available, you were attached to the Bears at some point, or there was some kind of rumor about some Chicago connection for this person or that one, or this quarterback and so on uh, and so forth, was the fact that we had to let Kyle Fuller go, not because he didn't have a good season last year. He didn't, you know, load up on the interceptions or anything, but he was still one of the better corners in the league uh, last year. Uh, the talk about, you know, Akeem Hicks being able to seek out a trade uh, and everything before that finally died down and looks like he's staying put, at least for this year. Uh, anyway, uh, Cordero Patterson signing with Atlanta, and according to his Twitter feed, never had a conversation with the Bears about coming back uh, this year uh, and everything like that. So it was like watching some of these guys walk away and, or, or letting some of them go you know, probably on top of what we were going through with the quarterback thing is why, you know, before draft night, and we'll get to that here in a minute, before draft night, I don't think really anyone in that roots for the Bears was looking forward to this season. Yeah, it didn't feel like progress. It was yeah. change, Yeah, but I don't know that it felt like progress. I mean, it was turnover, and it, it felt like you're going backwards at some positions, and it's pretty rare that – you get through free agency and feel like you've gotten worse at a couple of spots. <laughs> you know, every team thinks you upgraded every position after at least almost every position after free agency. And you're supposed to think that this team got better from all the moves that we made. And there was certainly you can make that argument at a few different positions for the Bears, but you know, like cornerback at least at first there was is definitely a, a question and even a little bit on the defensive line at first when you weren't sure where that was gonna go and you know, at least at least the Bears seemed to have a plan with how they wanted the draft to fit in with that, and they weren't just going into the draft wondering like, oh well, we'll we'll see what happens and see what else we can plug in. Like clearly, some of the draft plan was part of their free agent decision making process. Sure. Not that they knew for sure that they were going to get Fields and Tevin Jenkins, but like they seemed to be trending in in that sort of direction of of anticipating those types of potential picks in the draft. Yeah, but I mean, I'm looking at the free agent losses list that I wrote out, and it's just like, yeah, this uh, aside from, you know, like uh, Rashad Coward uh, in there, it's uh, this would be a pretty decent football team if we had all these guys on one team together. You know, Kyle Fuller, <laughs> uh, you know, as much as I've maligned Charles Leno over the years for his inconsistency uh, more than anything, um, you know, He's been there. He started like seven straight season, didn't miss any uh, games and everything. And it's, uh, you know, I just, I never saw what Ryan Pace did, you know, give him the extension, think that, you know, he was our long-term solution uh, at left tackle. But we could have done a lot worse, I guess is probably what I can say uh, in defense of Leno. We let Bobby Massey go, so we're we're going into 2021 with neither of our starting uh, offensive tackles. Trubisky, obviously, uh, was let go. He's in Buffalo now, backing up Josh Allen. Um, have you seen the the memes about him getting married this past weekend? Yeah, that there was no reception. <laughs> I, that was the only one I've seen. If there's other ones, I nope. I, that's I the one. That's, that's the, the one. one. Yeah. It's like Trubisky. Trubisky got married this weekend. <laughs> there was no reception after. Oh, that's terrible. Anyway, uh, then Cordell Patterson, you know, who was who made the Pro Bowl both years as a Bear uh, for special teams, is now going to be returning kicks for Atlanta. Roy Robertson Harris, 
that was inevitable. We just weren't going to be able to afford him. He's in Jacksonville now. John Jenkins is gone. Brett Urban, who I was a big fan of, is now with the Cowboys. Uh, DeAndre Carter, who had a cup of coffee with the Bears, is our kick returner, uh, is off to Washington. And Eddie Pinero, um, who we probably all forgot about last year, um, <laughs> is uh, now or at least going to be a camp leg for the Colts. That's where he's headed. And then glory, glory, hallelujah, Rashad Coward is in Pittsburgh with the Steelers after I think his Twitch feed gave it away or something like that. Like he was online and then like he was on the phone in the background making a deal was, with the his Steelers. girlfriend or his wife's yeah. Twitch feed. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, but he's gone. No longer our problem, you know. Had a lot of potential. Obviously, we started with him as a defensive uh, tackle, switched him over to, to uh, offensive line. And 2019, he actually wasn't bad. But last year, you know, probably we, we moved him around a lot. We had a brand new offensive line coach that it probably, he probably didn't gel with or whatever. But he just went off a cliff with his productivity and he drug us down more than he, than he helped us last year, which is like, as you heard me mention before, when he wasn't in the starting lineup against the Packers, all of a sudden we could run the football and we could do more than just, you know, uh, pray that our quarterback is upright after the ball is snapped. So, um, you know, yeah. Good riddance to, oh, to Rashad Coward, man. That guy drove me nuts. Yeah, uh, with you there, hundred percent. And one of the things that struck me about the Bears and their offensive line changes this offseason was kind of for me like the contrast to what the Kansas City Chiefs did, where it was like it felt like it was like groundbreaking, earth shattering when the Chiefs. I don't know if they released both of their offensive tackles like within a week from each other, like they just made, or, or formally announced that they weren't going to re-sign one of them and then released the other one and basically made it clear like, hey this Chiefs offensive line is, is going to have two brand new tackles back to back. And I remember like the reaction was kind of like, man, like what are the chiefs doing? Like you can't, you can't get rid of both of those guys and expect yeah. to replace them all. And yet they trade for Orlando Brown. They paid Joel Thune really big money to make him one of the highest paid guards. They end up signing Austin Blythe from the Los Angeles Rams. They bring Kyle Long out of retirement. They signed Mike Remmers. They, they had Lucas Young as their draft pick last year. And they drafted Creed Humphrey in the second round. Like that team made offensive line a priority and you know they they intentionally shed some valuable talent you know Mitchell Schwartz and and Eric Fisher were both really pretty solid offensive tackles but they had had some injuries in there and clearly they wanted to go in a different direction but like they they made that such a specific priority whereas the Bears it felt like you know they got rid of their tackles because they felt like they needed to and they you do want to upgrade both of those tackle spots but they didn't necessarily make that clear you know prioritized upgrading effort that you know Jenkins should be long term but like it's pretty much the same offensive line with adding Jenkins in and subtracting Leno and and Massey and not really that real you know turnover or emphasis on upgrading yeah I think that that uh, had we been able to make it happen with Morgan Moses there'd probably be a different attitude about the offensive line or at least that we actually have upgraded uh, those positions granted if if you know Jenkins works out uh, the way that I think that we all think and hope and pray that he will uh, and everything, but not signing Morgan Moses still kind of leaves that, that hole at, uh, you know, right tackle uh, right now. I mean, Afidi played better at tackle than he did at guard, that's for sure. But, you know, this is a guy that was drafted to be a left tackle for the Seahawks way back when and, you know, kind of salvaged his career as a guard for them and then came over to us and was terrible at guard uh, last year before we moved him out of out to tackle where he actually did play well. So maybe he is a right tackle, and that's where he should have been 
uh, all along. But if, if we get Morgan Moses, we plug him in at right tackle, then that really kind of solidifies the line with a feedy as the swing tackle or, uh, you know, whatever the bears had planned then. I agree 100%. Moses would have been a, a game changer this late in the process. Yeah. Russell Kung is still out there too to potentially bring in, but you know, it, it struck me that um like with with where this Bears offensive line was going last year, it, it, it even with Juan Castillo and it was, we saw this with Heastan before that, like they put guys in at a certain position early in the season and then it it feels like they got it wrong and have to move everybody around to other spots. You know, it's, it's Cody Whitehair starting at center and then moving out to left guard and playing a lot better. It's Jermaine Effetti starting at guard and moving out to tackle and playing a lot better. And you know, it's like, it, it takes injuries and, and basically the team being forced to put them in some other spot that didn't seem like they really wanted to from the start. Otherwise they would have from the start. And it's this question of like, are they able to properly assess the talent that they have to know how to put them in the best position to be successful because it seemed to take them two or three tries to find that position specifically on the offensive line. Yeah, it's uh, I'm, I'm very interested to see how this offensive line uh, is going to gel uh, with James Daniels uh, coming back with Mustafa in at center, which puts right. I think that makes Cody Whitehair a right guard now. Um, so I, I think the expectations is that Whitehair will stay at left and Daniels will move to right guard, but okay. it's, has not been locked in by any means. All right. Well, I mean, I can live with, with either, I mean, either one. It, I, I'm just happy yeah. to have James Daniels uh, back. It was, uh, you know, it was a, it was a blow to the offensive line uh, when he went down because, you know, it was like a, a lot was made about the shape that he showed up in the camp last year, which meant he took the offseason very seriously. You know, he was actually jacked when he came in, you know, and then, of course, what what goes out on him is pectoral muscle uh, in that uh, loss to the uh, to the to the or excuse me that win uh, over the Buccaneers uh, on Thursday night that one game that's when we lost him uh, and then that's where I mean we had struggled the week before uh, against the um, Colts even with Daniels uh, in the lineup but you know that was somebody who's who's lost that we felt and it really kind of started the whole reshuffling thing with the offensive line that we did not get right until like week 12 when we came back from the bye uh, in the Green Bay game that's when we finally seemed to figure it out but uh you know I'm interested to see how he's going to bounce back uh Mustafa coming in as the day one starter uh at center uh can Cody Whitehair battle his way through another position change cuz we've been bouncing that guy all over uh, the offensive line. I mean, we, he played tackle in college. That's the only thing we haven't put him out there to do yet. Uh, he's been, he's played all three interior spots, sometimes in the same game. Uh, you know, it's like, I remember that game where, where Kyle Long got hurt against the Buccaneers, like in 2017 or something like that. He literally played all, like all three interior positions at one point, uh, in the football game just to move around and, and things like that. So, um, you know, we'll see. You know, and uh, will it be Afidi or one of our, our, our fifth round pick, Larry Baram, uh, at right tackle? And then, you know, will Tevin Jenkins m- move right in at left tackle? And how's that going to go? So, you know, interested to see how the offensive line goes because, as we know, in football, you go as the offensive line goes. I mean, see what happened to the Chiefs against the Buccaneers in the Super Bowl when your offensive line is weak, the best quarterback in the NFL. You know, he can make some pretty looking plays, but for the most part, it's difficult for him to make throws from his back. Especially when your quarterback is Andy Dalton yeah. and, and not Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> but I, I think it speaks to your point, too, that like as you go through that lineup, it's basically four question marks and 
and Cody Whitehead. I mean, not that Daniels is a complete question mark and not that Mustafar is either, but like we don't know how good Tevin Jenkins is going to be on the left side as a rookie. We don't know how well Mustafar will be able to pick up where he left off or if there's going to be kind of a sophomore slump as opponents have more tape on him and there's not really that element of, you know, who is this guy? Now they kind of can learn his tendencies. How will James Daniels adjust to right guard? Probably the least of the concerns of those four guys. And then the right tackle competition, who's even going to be there? Like, it's that's it's three and a half, four question marks under your five offensive line starting spots. And in each of those, they could all be positives. You know, those question marks don't have to be negative. They could all work out well in all of them. There's yep. a, there's a, a possibility that it, it all plans out nicely, but it doesn't feel great to go into the process feeling unsure about at least maybe three, three and a half of those spots. <laughs> Yeah, it does. It does make you nervous because we, 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 I mean, we've experienced the last two seasons, especially when the offensive line isn't up to snuff, your offense struggles vehemently. You know, it's just like we had a, we had a solid, consistent offensive line uh, in 2018. And, you know, we had, we're a successful team. We could, you know, we weren't bringing a lot of pain with the points, but we could, we can move the football. We can move the chains. We can run the whole, uh, hang on to the clock and everything. And then in 2019, uh, we started having injuries. We started struggling again with the holding penalties and, and things like that. And the offense suffered. And again, the same thing happened in 2020. We lost guys to, to COVID and injuries and, uh, and all that kind of stuff, inconsistent play from, and all that. It just, as they struggled, we struggled as well. And then when we finally got it figured out, like week 12 to the end of the season, the offense all of a sudden was a factor in the football game. And some of that credit obviously goes to Nagy and scheme and how you can help the offensive line in that way too. So it's like, can we can we trust that they can pick that up where, where they left off to some extent? I mean, and kind of trailed off, like we talked about earlier with the Packers and the Saints after that, but at least like offensively, that that felt like some kind of progress and like noticeably like benchmarked progress that we hadn't quite seen in, in the previous years. I mean, obviously like 2018, they played well, but like in terms of like noticeable, like offensive change, like it's not just like with, it seemed like in the past Nagy would like, Hey, we got to just stick it out. We're, we keep trusting the process and doing it the same way we're doing it. Cause it's going to work if we just keep working at it. And this was like the first sign of like real admitting failure and making substantial changes that were for the better. And then it's a question of like, okay, so then uh, do we go back to trying this, trusting that that process of that we were trying to work at before and get back to doing that? Or, or was this a real so like sustainable learning moment of, okay, we figured out the offensive line. We figured out how to make this work schematically, or does that all go out the window again with now a new two new quarterbacks and a few new offensive line starters and, and all the different changes we've talked about. Yeah. So we move into draft night. And and I don't know about you, but I wasn't really looking forward to it. Even though we had a first round pick for the first time in three years since the Khalil Mack trade, um, I just I I was filled with anxiety because I knew Pace was going to pace and probably do something to trade up to get us a quarterback. It was just a matter of how far up was he going to move and how much was it going to cost us and things like that. And then for the first time in what feels like a very long time, Lauren, the football gods smiled upon us because the number of dominoes that had to fall in order for Justin Fields to become an option for us is insane. And they all fell our way with, you know, obviously the first three picks were all going to be quarterbacks. 
You know, it was just a matter of who the 49ers are going to take. And they go ahead and they take Trey Lance. Was Atlanta going to pick the future quarterback or go with, with Kyle Pitts, who many regard to be the best prospect in this draft? They went with Pitts. Cincinnati was the first team that did not need a quarterback in that top five because they just drafted Joe Burrow uh, last year. Instead of drafting Penny Sewell, they go with Jamar Chase. Same argument as I made a moment ago. If your quarterback can't hit that awesome stud receiver, if he's throwing from his back, uh, you know, so I, I, you know, as a former offensive lineman, I agree with, I disagree with that move wholeheartedly. Miami had a had, you know, uh, rumors that they might be moving on from Tua. They take a receiver. Then uh, the Lions go ahead and take Penny Sewell, despite the rumors that they might pick a quarterback because they're not in love with Jared Goff. And then the real head scratchers of the night, Carolina and Denver at eight and nine. Both teams need quarterbacks. They go with corners instead. And then at 10, the Cowboys trade out from 10 to 12 with Philadelphia. Philadelphia takes Devontae Smith. Why is that significant? Because that's who the Giants at 11 wanted. So their last wide receiver comes off the board, which means now they're open to a trade. And here comes uh, Dave Gettleman, who I think should be a saint in the city of Chicago, uh, makes the trade with the Bears so we can go ahead and get our quarterback of the future in Justin Fields. I think all of that, answers a question I was going to ask you when you when you started bringing up Justin Fields and I'm curious to see if if you have additional perspective on this that (laughs) I I think all of that is what for me makes the Justin Fields pick feel so different oh dude than the Mitch Trubisky absolutely absolutely because like when they drafted Mitch that was new face of the franchise quarterback Mm -hmm. of the future he was supposed to be the savior I mean you I mean but some and, and those are all new things that we've described Justin Fields with in the, more or less the same words. But like, I, I'm really trying to make sure that this is not like a recency bias thing where it's just like, well, this is what I feel now, so it mm-hmm. definitely feels different than it did four years ago. When four years ago, it definitely, even though Mitch wasn't everyone's cup of tea, it still felt like, all right, like we're we're all in, and this is this is a, a commitment to a quarterback. Like some, it feels different with Fields, and, and do you think it's it's just the football gods thing or is there something else there that stands out to you well i mean obviously there's and i've been saying this all off season but there's just something different about this kid in general like he carries himself obviously in a much different way than mitch did it's like he was a natural born leader as opposed to you know all due respect to Mitch, somebody who felt like he needed to be a leader because of the quarter because he is a quarterback kind of thing. I think Justin Fields, even if he didn't play football, would be a leader in whatever field he chose to go into. There's just something about the vibe of this kid. He's a, he's a leader, not a follower, uh, in my opinion. And I just see something different going on with him uh, than I did. That's made me excited about you know when he'll be able to take the field and uh, and all that kind of stuff. So it, it's it's, it's not so much recency bias. It doesn't have anything to do with the fact that he's not Mitch Trubisky or anything like that. It's just that he was a fantasy for us, even going into the start of the offseason. Because at the start of the offseason, he was the number two pick in the draft going to the Jets after Trevor Lawrence. And then for one reason or another, he tumbles all the way to 11 where we're there to go ahead uh, and snag him up. So it's just like he's a fantasy come true for us. And like I said, that's why it feels like the football gods smiling upon us. And there's just something different about this kid. Like I'm, I believe he's going to do great things for us. 
for me, I think one of the things I keep coming back to is like, you know, with Mitch, the Bears were at two and or I mean they were three, but they're picking a two, picked a two. Right. And they kind of had their their choice of the buffet, the quarterback buffet. I mean, it wasn't viewed as a strong quarterback class, but it was like pick any anyone you want. You are you are first in line at the ball and you get to you get to pick whichever quarterback you want to dance with. And with Justin Fields, it felt like you know, every, not only did everything have to fall their way in that regard, but yet even with teams passing on him, it still felt like the Bears got the quarterback that a lot of other teams wanted, or at least yeah. a lot of other fan bases wanted. Like, you know, the, the Bears got that pick, and the Vikings fans were upset, and the Patriots fans were upset, and even teams that passed on him, their fans were upset. It was like the Bears got what everybody else wanted yeah. in this case, and it, it never really felt that way with Mitch. It, Mitch right. it was like, well, the Bears are trying this one out, and we'll see how that works. <laughs> Yeah, I mean the the whole thing just just sits uh, different, and then of course it was kind. Of, what happened on on draft night was, and I've shared this story a few times. My listeners are probably sick of hearing me say it, but I don't give a damn. Fast forward if you don't want to hear it. But when you know, of course, the draft is on like six different networks at the same time. So when one goes to commercial, you just switch to uh, another one. And as I switch from one channel to the next, is when the graphic shows up that the Giants have made a trade. And then the helmet scrolls across the screen to the Bears. And I immediately, Lauren, panicked. I absolutely panicked because, like, I knew it was Justin Fields, so that wasn't part of it. What was part of it was what did he give up? What did We moved up nine spots. You know, how much is this going to cost us? And uh, have we been gutted? Do we still have a future? Do we have picks tomorrow on Friday? Did we give up our second and our third rounder uh, also to be able to to make this trade uh, and everything? We announced the, the, the pick. It's Justin Fields, hip, hip, hooray. That's the guy, you know, we all wanted uh, and everything. And then it was just like, I'm in a, I'm, it's just anxiety that's choking me to death, waiting for them to announce the compensation. And then it's like, yep, we swap first rounders. Okay. Fifth rounder this year. Yeah, well, that one kind of disappointed because that's Pace's wheelhouse with fifth round picks. But all right, first rounder next year. Yeah, of course. Fourth rounder next year. That is that it? That, that's it. That, and then all of a sudden it's jubilation because God bless David Gettleman. He gave us the pick that we needed in order to get the quarterback we wanted and he did not gut us in the process, which he was fully entitled uh, to do, and which is what I was freaking out about all offseason, Lauren. I talked to you about at length early in the offseason about, you know, what we would have to do and how the NFL was going to take advantage of us because they knew we were desperate to do it. And God bless David Gettleman. He didn't gut us for everything that we were worth. It seemed like that that, that's a trend from Ryan Pace, right? I mean, there have been too many times when it feels feels like the Bears – were the desperate team yeah. in the transaction and overspent either on a contract, which we've seen in free agency or, or in a trade like that and giving up too much compensation. But no, I think, I think you're a hundred percent right there that it was, it, it felt like a smart move all around. Yeah. We were, it felt like we a win-win. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like how, how, we were all kind of like in disbelief. Like they, they only had to give up like, you know, the future first is, is obviously big, but yeah. you knew you'd have to do that. But, a fourth and a fifth round pick was nothing. And not that it was even bad value for the Giants for if you're trading up for any other player, any other position, it doesn't really seem like it's 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 a, an average trade. Sure. If you're trading up for a receiver, yeah, whatever. But for some reason, because it's a quarterback that, again, that seemed like so many teams or so many fan bases at least wanted, that's it's, it's that combination that w- was both incredulous. And, and I think it's part of what gives us hope or some kind of semblance that. 
maybe the Bears are turning a corner here, that maybe things can be different moving forward, that sure. maybe there has been some kind of learning or some kind of progress yeah. from this GM and head coach. Well, I mean, and I think that we also got an inkling of that either later on that day or on Friday of the draft when um, the video was released by the by the Broncos where they were going to make their pick to take Patrick Satan at number nine. And you hear him on the phone saying, you know what, Ryan, it's going to be a one, a two, and a three uh, in order to, you know, make the trade and everything like that. And, uh, you know, like apparently it's not going, it's not going well. So he ends the call by saying, I got to go. I got somebody in calling who's going to give me more. And then he hangs up. And, and I think as far as I'm concerned, there's only one Ryan uh, GM in the NFL that he could have been talking to. And that means that Pace passed up on giving up our, our day one and two picks in order to move up to nine to get fields with Carolina's pick. And that, that seems to mark progress like that. Yeah. You know, that's that's a GM that's not overly desperate, not panicking, having some sort of leverage, having maybe some sort of backup plan and being yeah, level headed and executing and, and all those different things like that's that, that's some level of progress, whether that means, you know, that he's going to be a, a great GM every year or anything. I mean, right. Can't extrapolate it too much. But that, that that's where I think this optimism starts to come for 2020, despite some of the things we had to be pessimistic about from 2020. Well, I mean, one of the things that that, you know, landed with a thud in that press conference in, in January after the loss to the to the Saints was somebody asked him, like, do you really think that you're the right person for this? Because, you know, it basically everything's been insinuated, but not said out loud that it's 2021 or bust for you. Can you or should you really be the guy making future decisions for a team you might not be a part of? Uh, next year's like how can we trust that you're not going to go out and do something desperate and of course he goes and says well I'm, I always have the team's future in mind with any move that I make regardless of when we make it that right there shows that he was a man of his word at least in that transaction that he didn't just give up our future because he you know we finally we had a chance to go ahead and get the guy that we wanted uh, and so on that he did say no to that trade and, you know, kind of, you know, sat back and bit his nails and, and hoped that another opportunity would come. And God bless him, it did, because we got the guy that, uh, you know, could change the fortunes of, of, of us as Bear fans for, for quite some time. It's a really good point. And I think it's when you start to kind of work backwards from Justin Fields on that, you can you can apply the same principle with Russell Wilson. You know, maybe maybe there wasn't a price tag that the Seahawks would have taken, but clearly Ryan Pace wasn't able to throw enough things there and didn't, you know, I mean, we don't know exactly what he offered and maybe he was offering ridiculous amounts anyway, but was, was denied there. Maybe the, we don't know how close they got to maybe trading for Carson Wentz, but clearly didn't feel too desperate to give up too much there. And they were maybe in on Stafford. I don't think the Lions would have actually traded Stafford to the bears, but again, you know, it's like example after example of moment when the bears could have gotten desperate for a quarterback and, didn't get too desperate to overpay and and those things all sort of compound on each other that you think okay you you don't get Stafford the first time whatever you know then you get to Wentz and you don't get Wentz okay now you missed out on two of your quarterbacks you don't get Wilson either you've missed out on three of your quarterbacks you have to sign Dalton and now a team tells you no on field you can see like as how many how many of these quote-unquote you know misses or things that you didn't get before as those build up, you probably would feel, I mean, I would feel more pressure to be like, oh man, I, I didn't get any of those other guys. I got to get this one, right? If I don't yeah. get this one, what, what am I going to get? But, and yet even in the face of all of that, still 
calm, cool, collected, and and a good negotiator to get good value on those trades. Yeah, and and then for me, the, what, what was what really drove it home for me was Friday. Um, you know, the the thing that I was most elated about with the Justin Fields trade was um, that we still had second and third round picks to use on Friday. He didn't trade either of those picks away, so we have, we still had business to conduct on day two. And there we are sitting at 52, and everyone's talking about the first-round talent that's still on the board, and the Bears all of a sudden make a trade from 52 to 39 and get the guy that I wanted if we had stayed put at 20. If we're sitting there at 20 in the first round, Tevin Jenkins was the guy that I want. I mean, I just fell in love with his tape. And, and, and Brett Coleman has the, the Film Room uh, YouTube channel. Uh, did a did a did did a you know an, an expose on on Tevin Jenkins and that was it I was sold on him after that and there he is at 39 still available we make the trade and we go get him and the brilliance about that trade was that the compensation for that trade with the Panthers was all in 2021 so there were no future assets being given up to move up those 13 spots from 52 to 39 to get the offensive tackle of the future for us. And and what a nice change of pace, <laughs> yeah. pun intended, I guess. Yeah. Change of pace that wasn't pun was not intended when I said it, but I was going to take credit for it afterwards. To, to not because how many years in a row does do that have the Bears traded a future draft pick? And I guess he did in the first round for Justin Fields, but it feels you know with, with a quarterback like that 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 was just sort of a necessity at, at that stage. But yeah, it, it would have been nice to have a third round pick there because it, there was some good depth in this draft class. But and at the end of the day. You come away with two quality, important young starters in those first two picks, and maybe if one of those late round guys can pan out, then in, all in all, that's that's a pretty good draft to write home about. Yeah, I mean, and and here's the thing, um, you know, if if Fields and Jenkins hit and they become the players that we hope and and think that they will become, then this goes down as one of the best drafts in franchise history, regardless of what those last five guys in the draft class do because the 1965 draft class was the year that the Bears drafted Sayers and Butkus back-to-back in the first round. Can you tell me anybody else the Bears picked in 65? Mm, yeah, it was only uh, three decades before I was alive. Uh, so true. I'm, I'm... You know, it was uh, you know <laughs> 15 years before I was born as well, but you know, you can't name anybody else in that draft class, and yet it's like number one or number two all-time draft classes, you know, for the Bears because both of those guys became Hall of Famers, you know, and, and like the 83 draft is probably ranked as one of the highest one because we got like five 85 Bears starters uh, in that draft uh, kind of thing. So even if, if no one else on the draft class does anything, if Fields and Jenkins, you know, become long-time, long you know, greats for the Bears, then – you know, 2021 is going to be looked upon as a draft where we just killed it and it'll go down as one of the best of all time. It doesn't seem like there have been a lot of those draft classes recently <laughs> to enter in that conversation like without, without having a list of them in front of me. There's, you know, the early, like the, you know, the Erlacher one in early in the early 2000s, there was maybe a, a couple in there. But even, even if, you know, even if Jenkins isn't a pro bowler and maybe even if Justin Fields isn't a top five quarterback but if they just pan out they're still going to be right up there in the top of that if either one busts right if either one busts and you just hit two solid consistent 10-year starters in the nfl that's 
it's automatically going to put itself up there because the bar is not incredibly high. Right. And, and when, and, and I'll, and I, uh, you know, will emphasize that by saying, I think if both of these guys get a second contract, that's uh that's a successful uh, draft class. If, if we sign both of those guys to extensions to keep them around, you know, for years five through 10 or, or whatever, uh, then yeah, it's a successful draft. And uh, you know, we've, we've gotten what we needed uh, out of those guys. So, um, so, but, but Fields and Jenkins, that was like a dream one, two pick, uh, you know, for me, cause I've been infatuated for fields for a couple of years. I mean, ever since I started watching him, I watched him on that QB one documentary series on, on Netflix. And then he goes to Georgia and, you know, then he ends up at Ohio state where with you and I in big 10 country, we got to see a lot of him. Uh, and then of course he's going mm-hmm. to national champion. He's going to, you know, in the playoff the last two years, uh, fall short against Trevor Lawrence last year. And then this past season, uh, put, put it to Trevor Lawrence and the Clemson Tigers, uh, in the national semifinal, uh, even with like a busted rib or something like that still ends up making these dime throws for touchdown passes, uh, against the Tigers. So he's been, he basically is everything that Mitch wasn't as far as like he's experienced. He's, he's got, you know, all like the big time experience, the big games and the bright lights and all that kind of stuff. And he stepped up to it all. Whereas Mitch was this guy with 13 starts that played, you know, in, in, you know, the back half of the ACC where they won six games and went to the Sun Bowl or something like that. Justin Fields is playing for national championships and getting national exposure, playing the big games against the best team and performing to the highest level in those situations. <laughs> this episode of the Bears Talk Underground is brought to you by the Spotify Green Room, formerly known as the Locker Room app, guys. Spotify Green Room is a live audio-only sports talk platform, free to download and use. Talk to me, other fans, athletes, and insiders in real time. It's perfect for watch parties, debates, post-game breakdowns, and reacting to breaking news. Share your own experiences on the app. Start or join ongoing conversations. Watch games together. React to the biggest news, rumors, and games. And, of course, I host a weekly show every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. on the Spotify Green Green Room, the Bears Talk Underground presents Club 34-7. Be sure and join me. Come through and talk with me live. All you need to do is download the Spotify Green Room app free in the iOS or Android app store. Create a profile, link to your Twitter, and join into the group. Follow me to be notified when my room goes live. And, of course, every Wednesday night, 7 p.m. Central, 8 o'clock Eastern, is when Club 34-7 uh, hits the air. So be sure to join in on the fun, guys. You don't want to miss it. And be sure to follow me on the uh, on the app so that you'll know anytime that I go live because uh, we'll be doing watch parties during the preseason. We'll be doing uh, knee-jerk reactions during halftime uh, during the season and things like that. Lots to do. This app opens up so many possibilities for interaction between me and you, my loyal audience. So be sure and download the Spotify Green Room app wherever you get your apps. I'm curious for you because when when the Bears drafted Mitch, and I, I know you've you've said it since too that like you, you weren't have you weren't crazy about taking a quarterback specifically there in that draft because you didn't feel like the team was ready right. and, and built enough around a rookie quarterback. And then so then with, with Fields, with with a lot of what we talked about this offseason about you know, questions on the offensive line and some changes there and the defense clearly coming off of a down end of the season and reason for in in all those cases, possibilities for things to get better there. So it's not it's not as 
desolate as maybe it was in 2017. But do you feel some of those same question marks about like, is this team ready for a rookie quarterback like Justin Fields yet? Not to the extreme that, um, for, because with Mitch going into 2017, what did we have besides Jordan Howard? You know, because that was the year that we drafted Tariq Cohen, so we didn't even have him yet. Aside from Jordan Howard, what did we have on the offensive side of the ball that could be an asset to Trubisky uh, on the offense? Like maybe, maybe if Cameron Meredith could continue his ascension, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, it's like we just had nobody. We didn't have a tight end uh, or anything like that. And the offensive line, we had Charles Leno, and, you know, Corey, it was uh, Cody Whitehair's going into his second year. So the offensive line was okay. But it's like we got literally no one for him to throw the football to. It's going to be three yards and a cloud of dust for Jordan Howard, first, second, and, and you know, maybe we try to throw the ball on third down to who. And, you know, it's just like we're not ready for this kid yet. And even Kyle Long said, you know, um, we were ready for, or he was ready for us, but we weren't ready for him. And I think that sums it up perfectly. Like he was, he was ready to come in and, and be the starter, but the team wasn't ready to, for him to be able to succeed. With Justin Fields, we have Allen Robinson, we have Cole Komet, we have Darnell uh, Mooney. God help us, we still have Jimmy Graham. Uh, you know, and and the the guys that we've signed and Marquise Goodwin, uh, Demir Bird. Uh, you know, we've got we've got weapons. We've got people for him to throw the football to if the offensive line can protect him, you know, and with him and his accuracy, which is something that was really lacking in Mitch Trubisky's game, uh, (laughs) you know, it it could be, it could be really exciting to watch this team play offense for a change. So yeah, I feel that we're much better suited for him uh, this time around, not to mention uh, he's not coming. Well, actually, maybe he is. If things don't go That's well, maybe wondering. he is coming into a lame duck situation uh, with the head coach uh, and everything. But we as a roster, I think, are better prepared to help him succeed as opposed to the team that Mitch came in on. He was going to have to carry, and that just wasn't going to happen. Yeah, and in 2017, it felt like the whole world knew that John Fox was going to be gone. And <laughs> even – and You're even right. if he wasn't, it did not feel like the coaching staff that was, you know, uh, in a good position to develop a quarterback in terms of just offensive uh, reputation yeah. and the results that we had seen. Whereas at least like with Nagy, there's still there's still this this idea, this hope, and and I think justifiably so. There's still this thought that he can still be a effective quarterback developer, and he has had success with you know Patrick getting Patrick Mahomes ready, even though he didn't get to really call plays with him and working with Alex Smith like Nagy at least has some sort of pedigree or reputation that that Fox and and Dowell Loggins didn't quite have (laughs) well not to mention you also have you know DeFilippo you have Bill Lazor you have the um, I think Henry Burris I think is a consultant or something like that for us um, we also have uh, Herman, the quarterback guy from from Texas, the former head coach down there. It's just a, there are a lot of cooks in the kitchen as far as being able to help, not to mention, you know, Dalton, who's been in the league 10 years, a former Super Bowl MVP in Foles, even though he's not that guy anymore. He's been there, done that. So he has the experience on what it takes to get there or what it takes to win kind of thing that he can kind of add to the recipe of Justin Fields as an NFL quarterback. I I don't I don't disagree that the Bears are certainly much more prepared yeah. th- this time than Mitch Trubisky, but boy, you know I I sure would prefer to, to have the offensive line 
settled Agreed. for Justin yeah. Fields and you know to, to really be committed to this running game in a way that we we saw in the second half of last season but mm-hmm. you know to really feel like some of those things are more in place and and maybe then to some extent I'm almost glad that Andy Dalton is going to start week 1 like as much as I don't want him to start week 1 <laughs> you know, you know you know we want Justin Fields out there but maybe there is something to be said about ironing out some of these kinks for at least a, a few weeks here before Fields has to kind of step in and figure his own stuff out. Yeah, and we'll get to the schedule here in a minute to talk about, like, in a perfect world, where would you insert Justin Fields into the schedule uh, here? But um, real quick, you know, you, you talked about, you know, f- you know, focusing on the running game or making it a more prominent part uh, of the offense. You, you mentioned it a, a moment ago. I'm pretty sure we were recording when you mentioned the seven tight ends and the seven running backs. And one of them is Khalil Herbert that we drafted in the sixth round uh, from Virginia Tech. We signed Damian Williams. Tariq Cohen is coming back. Montgomery has apparently been on a mission during this offseason to get faster because apparently he doesn't like getting caught from behind. So he's been working on uh, getting faster uh, and things like that. So it's just like, you know, we have a very interesting running back room. It's going to be very interesting to see how the roster is shaped if, if, if all of these guys perform well, who are we going to keep? Who are we going to risk losing to the practice squads or in free agency after we make cuts uh, and stuff like that? Uh, I, I'm, I'm interested to see how that all is going to get formed in that running back room and, and how it's going to affect the, uh, to the offense. Yeah, it feels like Tariq Cohen, for me, is going to be a, a, like a measuring stick for Matt Nagy's progress here. That mm-hmm. we've, been, we've been waiting for more creative use of Tariq Cohen within this offense. And, you know, of course he was injured last season and you know, 2019 was kind of a disappointment with, with how that all came together. So like now that not only you have Tariq Cohen back and healthy, but you also have other really talented running backs to where you don't have to have Cohen play as much of like the traditional handed off to him running back. I mean, he certainly is going to line up there primarily. You're not going to make him a full-time wide receiver, but like you have, you have the luxury now of having a lot of different options to then get even more creative with Tariq Cohen to get those other guys also on the field more. So like I want to see what Matt Nagy can do with him and, and feel like maybe now he has the quarterbacks to get more complex again on offense that as much as big, if, if we're willing to give Matt Nagy some of the excuse or explanation of like, well, he couldn't do everything he wanted to on offense because Trubisky wasn't capable of doing it anymore. Then you, you would presume that Dalton should be, and certainly Justin Fields will get to be at some point, even if he's not right away as a rookie. And like, that's when it's like, all right, there's there's no longer that excuse for why you're not using Tariq Cohen in some of the more creative and effective ways that we saw. Even even Dowell Loggins in 2017, a couple deep bombs to Tariq Cohen at wide receiver, and mm-hmm. he, he was able to do some different things there. When when Cohen was still a new, fresh gadget player that defenses didn't know what to expect, sure, but there's a lot of opportunity here with, with that treasure trove of talent, like you talked about. And that that's what separates truly innovative and effective offensive coaches from, you know, average the rest, the rest of the league that doesn't quite maximize players in those same ways. Yeah. And, and I'm interested to see how that's going to unfold as well. I mean, it's as much as I hated seeing Cordell Patterson go, I'm also kind of relieved as well, instead of trying to wedge him into that, Tariq Cohen role. I mean, we were even doing that when Cohen was healthy in 2019 uh, as well, you know, because famously that uh, that fourth and one uh, play against the Packers week one, and it's 
Cordero Patterson carrying the ball out of the backfield uh, instead of David Montgomery or anything like that. Uh, that's, you know, speaking of which, that's something that I hope Nagy and, and just Nagy and company, Bill Lazor, um, something that they do this season is sticking with the hot hand as opposed to just rotating guys out or I'm calling this play so this guy has to be in there uh, kind of thing. Just let the game come to you kind of thing. Because that Lions game that we talked about before, David Montgomery, you know, it just looked like he was running on another gear. He was playing on a different planet that day, and yet Nagy kept pulling him off the field to put Cordell Patterson out there to run these sprint option or these sprint, uh, you know, toss sprint plays and uh, and things like kept kept pulling Montgomery out of there, even though nobody can tackle him. He's running through the first defender. He's getting chunks. Of, he almost ran for like 80 yards in the first half, and we keep pulling him off the field. Imagine what that number could have been if we'd have stuck with the guy who's getting five, six yards a carry. I hope that's something that he that he does this season. Then as opposed to like, okay, two plays, boom, he, he comes out, you know, and it's like, and how nuts did it make you in the second half of games where, where, and especially in the second half of the year, where Montgomery's having this amazing first half, he's not on the field for like the first three snaps of the second half, <laughs> you know, it's like, what the hell is Nagy doing? So, I mean, it's like, I hope that that's not something that we have to be sitting here screaming at the television doing this year, that Nagy's learned his lesson. And, you know, if, if, if Montgomery's out there, you know, making it happen, keep giving him the ball, you know, make them make them stop. It's like, keep doing it because it works, uh, not because it's, you know, part of your plan. It, it felt too often like the running game was like an obligation. Yes. <laughs> that Matt Nagy yeah. felt like, oh, I got to sprinkle one in here because I just, it's just due or whatever. So let's just... Let's call this one and give it to this back or whatever. But like, it it, it didn't it wasn't until that like end of the season situations where it felt like it was actually part of the offense and part of like built into the game plan a little bit more and and really like structurally important to what they wanted to do as opposed to just something they did to pass time in in between the next passing play. Yeah, yeah, it was it was frustrating uh, to watch that game. Especially, like I said, because that was one of the things that that you mentioned in your show. Hogan Johns talked about in their podcast. Uh, Kruitz, obviously, as a former offensive lineman himself, talked about over and over, why do we keep David Montgomery, keep taking him off the field? Why do we keep taking the ball out of his hands? He was running it so well. You said so on your show and everything. And that's where I was basically... You know, I was seeing red by 10 o'clock that morning, listening to the podcast and everything because of it's so obvious to me and everybody else. How is it Nagy just keeps missing it? That's what made me so crazy about it. And I hope that that's something, you know, they've done some self-scouting here in the offseason and something that, that he's picked up on, like, you know, maybe I should go ahead and stick with the hot hand because look how Montgomery was running in this one and what could he have done if I'd have stuck with him instead of constantly pulling him off the field. You know, I was like, is David Montgomery out of shape? Is that why you keep pulling him off the field? Otherwise, leave him out there and run him till the wheels fall off. I mean, come on. It sure seems like the temptation is going to be there this year, though, when you have Damian Williams and Tariq Cohen there to to not stick. I yeah. mean, if, 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 he, if Montgomery's really running hard, I mean, you, you got to stick with him. But I can see where there it might be tough to have games where Montgomery gets up to 20 or 25 carries because – you know, you want to give five or ten to, to Damian Williams, and maybe you want to give five or ten to Tariq Cohen, and then maybe that only leaves five or ten for David Montgomery. And there's, there's, you, you can play that 
to your advantage if you always have fresh legs out there. And if you keep running the ball, at least the offensive line kind of gets into a rhythm. You can mix things up enough for a defense to make it work. But if it's just sort of willy-nilly, like he this this running back runs these plays and that running back runs those plays and it's just wherever they go in, like yeah. there at least needs to be some kind of purpose behind it. Right. Yeah, and it just didn't seem like there was any rhyme or reason other than here's the formation I'm calling, so Montgomery's out, Cordero Patterson uh, is in. It's like, well, then don't call that play. Leave Montgomery out there for the plays that he <laughs> runs and keep running those plays, you know, because that was one of the things that I loved about Lovey and whoever his offensive coordinator of the week was uh, back then was that if if Matt Forte was hot or in the beginning of his career, if Thomas Jones was hot, you kept giving the ball to the running back, let the offensive line do the dirty work, let this running back do what he does and see what happens. You know, just keep doing it because it works, not because it's what the game plan dictates. And no, it's play number 12. So we're calling this play now. I was like, no, play number 11 was really awesome. How about we run something like that again, maybe to the left side this time or something. It's like, it just, just, it doesn't, it seems so rigid sometimes in how he play calls his plays. Like this is the situation where I want to call this play as opposed to seeing what the team has been doing well and adjusting to that. It almost felt like, there, I think back to 2018, and it felt like there was some of that when they'd, when they, especially when they'd get into like mixing in some of those trick plays. Like it felt yeah. like there was there was a rhythm and a rhyme to it, and you know what I mean. Like it felt like it felt like we've we've seen this before from Matt Nagy. Like we we've seen him be capable of it, and yet we don't really have a good answer as to why we didn't really see it in 2019 or 2020. Right. Yeah, we didn't see any gadget plays the last couple seasons. You know, it's almost Same like quarterback. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it's it almost like we weren't having any fun, uh, you know, the past couple of years, like uh, we were in 2018. Uh, when we were setting the world on fire. But um, anyway, let's uh, move on to the uh, schedule. I mean, we don't uh, we'll, we'll mention it briefly just because I think it's it's probably going to be the first preseason sellout Soldier Field scene in a while. And not only because it's the debut of Justin Fields in a bear uniform, but because it's the first time the Bears have been able to play in front of fans since 2019. So I have a feeling that's uh, that's not going to be a hard ticket for the Bears to sell uh, August 14th when the Dolphins come to town and then we play the Bills the following week in which will most likely be the dress rehearsal game, I guess, since and it's the second game. And the game. return of Mitch Trubisky, of As course. well. Yes, that should be. Oh, my God, I didn't even think about that. You're right. He's coming into town. We'll probably see a lot of Mitch Trubisky in that game. Excuse me. And... Then we wrap it up with with Tennessee. And here's what's interesting. Let me know if you've heard anything uh, about this or how it's going to go down. The time frame between the last preseason game and week one of the NFL was a week. This year, it's two. So what's, you know, it's like, how is that going to affect the, the, the you know, the, the remainder of, of training camp? Will... Will everybody hang on? Will will final cuts not happen until that week before the preseason or the, before the season starts? Are they going to have the final cuts right away and then you've got two weeks to finish assembling your 53-man roster and your practice squad and everything? Have you heard? I mean, is it going to be up to the teams how they handle that? Or is it, you know, by this deadline you have to have your roster, uh, you know, you have to have your 90-man roster down to 53 or or what have you? As far as I know, the the 53-man roster cutdown is still going to be sort of in the same spot at, right at the end of that, you know, the 
uh, right at the end of August, like right after the last pre, right after the last preseason game. I think it's August twenty or August thirty first, and then you have two full weeks essentially of just getting ready for week one with your fifty three man roster. So presumably it's just a, an extra ramp up period of the season. You know, the Bears training camp practices will be closed off by then, you know, after the Titans game that they, they won't be open to the public anymore anyway. And then it's, I, I, I hadn't really noticed that quirk until, until you mentioned it there. I just was sort of assuming that they would be playing in that first weekend in September, but gives them more time to ramp up to the big Thursday night opener, I guess. And with, with one fewer preseason game, yeah, I guess more, more practices is a good thing. They can still ramp up and try and make up for some of those missed in-game opportunities, but you still have to make, you still have to pick your roster ahead yeah. of that time too. So, so I mean, because I've just least... been wondering, you know, like that week after we play the Titans on August twenty eighth, would it? And the week after that is the week up to Labor Day, which is when college football kicks off. They always start a week earlier than the NFL does. Will Will we make the final cuts on the 29th uh, of August, and then the two weeks between? You know, then and week one against the Rams, we've got our 53-man roster and we're practicing with these guys to get ready. Or are we going to spend that last week heading into Labor Day with the full 90-man roster or 75 or whatever the, the roster size is at that point? And then after Labor Day, we make final cuts and that week leading up to week one is the only week that we have just the 53 Man, it's like I haven't heard anything, so I was wondering if anybody else knew how it how it was supposed to go down or or how the NFL was planning on having it do. So this year they're they're adding another cut date earlier. So ah. uh, you have to go from ninety to eighty five on August seventeenth, and then from eighty five to eighty on August twenty fourth, and then down to your fifty three on August 31st. But what it, what it does do is then it gives teams more time to go through the waivers from everybody and then yeah. establish your 10-man practice squad and have your practice squad for 2 weeks and kind of just get everything intact for you know full week of practice before the opener cuz I think in the traditional schedule the team that played on week 1 Thursday night as the you know the official NFL season opener they end up kind of getting a little bit of a short week to get ready for that game and so I think this is sort of a way to Make sure that no one has to start out the season on that short week. And maybe I think it, I'm guessing it's some kind of concession to the players in terms of the CBA negotiations when they added the 17th game or I guess added the 17th regular season game, took away the preseason game and also said, we'll give you a little bit more of a ramp up time after the preseason to really lock in for week one. Yeah, it makes sense. So I was just wondering how that whole uh, process was going to go. I guess we finally got our answer. But as we look into the schedule here. Uh, week one, we're kicking it off on Sunday night football at Los Angeles against the uh, Rams. The last meeting between these two teams did not go very well. It was the Monday night. Uh, well, it was embarrassing, actually, is what it was uh, against the Rams. Granted, they were the, they were the best defense in the NFL uh, last year, and Brandon Staley, you know, knew a lot of the guys that he was coaching against that night, and and what they were good at and what they weren't but uh you know that was also the game where brian greasy is uh talking out of school about uh you know what nick Foles tells him that you know i already meant i'd know before we break the huddle whether or not the play is going to work uh kind of thing and uh you know it was th that whole game was just a mess from from start to 
from start to finish. The offensive line could not handle, uh, you know, the pass rush of the Rams. It was the Leonard Floyd revenge game because he had like two sacks in the game. Uh, and uh, now there's actually going to be fans in SoFi Stadium uh, to kick off 2021. Uh, and everybody that was there pounding us that day is going to be back. It's 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 going to be a tough matchup for a lot of the offensive line questions that we had talked about. And, and just like what, what level of Andy Dalton are we going to get in terms of understanding of this Bears offense and, and you know how how much can they open things up? I guess for the Rams, too, Matthew Stafford is going to be learning their thing. So it's sort of a, a testament of, okay, which team can kind of get their new quarterback up to speed and can kind of get their defense to be back up to where they want to be. And I, I think the the point spread on that game is already about a touchdown favorite for the Rams. And that's <laughs> that, that feels about right for me for where at least – week one expectations should be for both of these squads. Yeah. The only comfort that I take in this matchup at that it's week one and weird shit happens week one. So maybe we pull one. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we just pull one out uh, against the Rams, Uh, regardless of how the rest of the season goes. I don't think anybody's expecting us to win that one. Wouldn't it be fun if, you know, the week one silliness, uh, you know, was part of us pulling out a win uh, in that game on national TV. So uh, week number two, we finally come home and, Here's an interesting thing about the schedule this this year, Lauren. Maybe you've picked up on this, or Ashramer. I'm sure you've heard uh, about it uh, by this point. It's uh, it's home away, home away, all the way through uh, the schedule this year. There's no back to back home games. There's no back to back road games. They even accounted for the bye week because we're at Pittsburgh before the bye. We're home for the Ravens after the bye. So we don't have back to back home games at any point. Uh, back-to-back road games at any point throughout the entire season. We just rotate back and forth all season long. It, it seems like similarly on paper, the the level of talent that they're playing against never really goes back-to-back. Like, I mean, there's a couple a couple exceptions here and there, but it's not a lot of like back-to-back easier tough stretches, right? It's like you kind of go good team, bad team, good team, bad team for yeah. a little while there. But again, on paper, things change by the time we actually get to that game but it's hard to like look at and find a stretch that's like oh man here's here's four games of really really tough or here's three games of of really really easy there's a a couple of spots you can make some arguments but it's not it's not like there's a spot where you can go here's the six game losing streak like we saw last year right right yeah looking at the schedule you could see that three game losing streak coming so I know exactly what yeah. you mean. But uh, week two, <laughs> we're at home for the Bengals. Then, like you said, good team Rams, bad team Bengals, good team Browns on the road for week three. Then home for our first matchup with the Lions, our first divisional game against Jared Goff and the uh, knee-biting Detroit Lions uh, with their new coach, uh, Dan Campbell. And um, then ho- on the road for the game that every Bear fan uh, in the world had circled on their calendar when the schedule came out. We're heading out to Vegas to play the Raiders week number five, thanks to that that 17th game making the uh, AFC West same place opponent for us uh, this year. Then home for our first matchup with Green Bay. Will Aaron Rodgers be on the field or not? Probably, but who knows. And then at Tampa Bay, home for the 49ers at Pittsburgh on Monday night before a week 10 bye. So, the first nine games, it's it's just like you said. It's like good, bad, good, bad, uh, along with home away, home away uh, throughout that first half of the season. Yeah, the, the exception there, of course, Packers, Buccaneers, and then well, you know, Forty ers They're a big question mark this I, year, man. Yeah, yeah. 
But Packers and Buccaneers, and Packers are a question mark just solely because of Rodgers, but we'll certainly know by then yeah, you know, sure. whether or not they will be a question mark. But, you know, Packers, Packers Bucks is that tough one. And then questions about the Raiders and the 49ers and the Steelers, they, those could be winnable games. Those could be more difficult games if the, those teams start to kind of put things together. But it's I, I find it to be a, a particularly difficult to predict schedule, not yeah. only because of the variations of the teams, but then also – we don't know who the Bears quarterback is going to be for some of those games. And it's, yeah, trust me, it's, it's, it's hard. It's hard, hard to find where they would really get like hot, except yeah. for maybe a couple of games here in the second half of the schedule. But it's there's not there's no stretches to really get on those runs. Yeah, it, it's it's been a running theme uh, throughout my journey in the in these opponent preview uh, episodes. And, and it's actually kind of ruined my uh, mentality regarding Justin Fields. And what I mean by that is when we picked him, I was in full Patrick Mahomes mode. We got Andy Dalton, let him be the starter, let Fields uh, sit back and learn, you know, learn as long as possible because once the job is his, it's his forever until, until the wheels come off kind of thing. So, you know, let him sit back and learn. Let's protect him and so on and so forth. Or like we've been talking about, hopefully by the time Fields takes the field, we've got our offensive line thing figured out. And not like when poor Nick Foles took the field last year, all of a sudden our offensive line's in flux and he's getting the, the hell beaten out of him week in and week out. So he looks nothing like the guy that we, we, we traded for uh, to, to come in and kind of be our savior if, if Mitch can't, if Mitch continued to Mitch in 2020. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's one of those uh, things where, um, you know, we, we want to see, you know, have him sit and wait for a while. But it's like talking to everybody and their enthusiasm, how excited they are to see Justin Fields. It's like, screw it. Put him out there. I can't wait. It's like, well, I'm not fighting it anymore. Put the kid out there. Let's see him get it done. He can learn and play at the same time. Justin Fields, day one against the Rams. Just go ahead and make it happen. So that's my, my, go ahead. Go my ahead. fear is that like our – like that we're not going to really know. First of all, I mean, we on the outside won't know when Fields is ready. We have to take Nagy's word for it from what they're doing at practice or whatever. Right. But then I'm also not sure we're, we're going to know when the Bears feel like they're ready for him. Because like you could easily see them, you know, you lose to the Rams and maybe offensive line problems against Aaron Donald. And I don't want to say you get creamed, but you, str- you struggle against the Rams. You dominate the Bengals. You struggle against the Browns, and you dominate the Lions. And it's like, is this team any good? Or <laughs> they just, you know what I mean? Like, is 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 the supporting cast ready for Fields? Yeah. Or did they just beat up on some bad teams, and they're actually, we're actually putting your quarterback in a bad spot for when you get to, you know, maybe even later in the season with the Packers again, the Seahawks down the stretch, and Buccaneers, and maybe the Forty ers and some of those guys. Like, when when will we know? It just feels like you'll get to the end of the schedule and still be like, I don't know if. Maybe the second half of the season, maybe the final third, we'll have a pretty good idea. But it's going to be hard to rush Fields in there to unless Dalton is just really stinking it up. Yeah, if he goes out there and, and Mike Glennon's his way through the first five weeks, then yeah, we'll probably see Justin Fields against the Raiders or the Packers uh, early on uh, in the season there. But um, you know, after and, and and like you said, after the bye week, we got the Ravens, good team. At the Lions on Thanksgiving, stop me if you've heard that one before, and uh, then home for the Cardinals, and eh, they're kind of the 
wild wild card there? Will they be the team mm-hmm. that almost made the playoffs last year, or will they regress? You know, because they they've been making progress. They've been better each year than they were uh, the year before. Can they continue to progress, or are they in a division that won't allow it to happen? Uh, kind of thing. The NFC West might be the best division in football uh, this year. And then we got the Packers on Sunday night, home for the Vikings on Monday, Monday night football again, so we get to do that again. Uh, at Seattle the day after Christmas, home for the Giants, and then at Minnesota, week 18. Stop me if you've heard that one before, Lauren. On the road at Minnesota to close out the year. That's only the sixth time in seven seasons that that's happened. And all your division games, well, not all, but a lot of your division games all clustered in that last third of the season you Packers Vike Packers and then two Vikings in the last five weeks three divisional games to wrap up that part of the schedule and it's always the Vikings kind of pushed all the way back at the end of the season too in yeah. addition to week 15 week 18 those those are the Vikings this year we yeah. don't even see them until right before Christmas December 20th is our first game uh, against the Vikings this year so weird yeah what a quirky schedule it's but I mean, it, you you have like where basically the NFL has stenciled the Bears' schedule from years previous because we're in Detroit for Thanksgiving again, and then we're on the road uh, at Minnesota Sunday Night Football at Green Bay. Uh, you know because we can't play during the daytime in Lambeau for some reason, and you know it's just things like that that keep happening over. Uh, and over again. So if it's like we're playing Green Bay at Lambeau, it's got to be on Sunday night football. We're playing the Vikings on the road. It's got to be the last week of the season. And if the Lions are hosting a Thanksgiving game, guess what? The Bears are coming to town. So it's just kind of seems lazy to me that it just keeps happening year in and year out. Like if we can see the patterns, why can't the NFL? You know what I mean? It's just Yeah. You think there should be some kind of rule where you're not allowed to play all of your other divisional games before you face your final divisional opponent. Because the Bears <laughs> will get the Lions and Packers twice before they even see the Vikings once. Right. And you'd think, like, at least one of those should be transposed somewhere in where you can see the Vikings at least once before you get through all your other division games. Right. So, but, I mean, how do you feel about the home-away, home-away thing uh, this year? I didn't really have a have a, a way about it, you know, and I I think I saw some weird stat like the last time the Bears had a schedule like that, they went to the playoffs or something like that. But, uh, you know, it's like I don't really – like it's – there's no like homestand in there. Like we got two, three games or whatever. And, I mean, going through the schedules of, of the various opponents that we've had, there are some teams that have, you know, three-game homestands or they have a three-game homestand with a bye in there. So they're basically home for an entire month before they go back on the road uh, kind of thing. And the Bears are home away, home away, home away, week in, week out, no matter what. I think for me – I mean, I, I don't think it's a very consequential thing, but I do think like I don't I don't know that the home stand like back to back home games gives me all that much of an advantage. If you know, I think playing at home is the advantage, but the fact that you were at home the previous week as opposed to on the road the previous week, I don't think that's that big of an advantage. But I do think back to back games on the road can be more of a disadvantage. And so I think sure. the Bears are missing out on the more difficult parts. And I don't think they're missing too much of a big advantage from not having some home stretches. So I think at the very least it's, it's, it's avoiding a negative and I don't think you're missing out too much from a positive standpoint. Well, so long as the NFL doesn't do what they did to us in 2018 and, and that, uh, that week 11 game against the Ravens doesn't get flexed to Sunday night football. And then we've got to play the 1130 game on Thanksgiving three days later. I'm good with it. So, <laughs> uh, 
I, I can't help but feel like the first game after the bye week against the Baltimore Ravens is maybe the one I can most strongly pencil in a, a loss, just given the Bears' track record after the bye week against a quality opponent. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, Nagy's record uh, coming off of bye weeks is uh, awful. I think he's, uh, you know, including like the mini buys coming off of Thursday night matchups, I think he's like two for six or two out of six or uh, something like that uh, in his record coming off of buys or slash mini buys uh, as well. And we basically have them back to back here because we're coming off the buy. We play the Ravens. Then we have the Lions three days later. So we've the mini buy will be the Arizona Cardinal game uh, 10 days after Thanksgiving. And, uh, you know, we'll see how that all uh, turns out uh, for us. But um, have you played around with win-loss records uh, on this one? Because I'm, I'm hovering in the 9-8, and 8-9 eight, eight area when I look at this. And like you said, because of the schedule and the way that it falls, there's not really a good spot for us to get hot uh, or, you know, or anything like that. It is just kind of like the schedule. It just kind of keeps teetering back and forth. Yeah, I'm with you, and it's, it's it's so weird with the 17-game schedule when the math is 8 and 9 and 9 and 8. Like, this doesn't feel like the Bears are, are ready to be a playoff team unless Fields absolutely lights it up as a rookie in some offensive rookie of the year level thing and gets on the field early enough to be able to do so. But it feels like, you know, they're going to hover right at or below 500 for a little while with Dalton and then get Fields out there, and he'll beat some teams and he'll lose some games too, and it's not going to be this drastic turnaround on the win-loss record, but we'll end up finishing the season feeling a lot better about the direction the team is headed and, and looking much, much more forward to 2022. Yeah, and I think that's that's kind of what, you know, draft night did was it turned on a dime the fans' perception of 2021. Like, I don't think anyone was really looking forward to this season with the, you know, with the fact that we brought Pace and Nagy back we, you know, we had this, we looked like idiots throughout the whole quarterback thing in the offseason, settling for Andy Dalton there uh, at the end, having to cut Kyle Fuller, possibly trading away uh, Akeem Hicks, not really bringing anyone in of consequence uh, during the free agency uh, period. And then all of a sudden, Pace shows why, you know, he has fans in Chicago by making the, the trade for Fields, by making the trade. Uh, for Jenkins and you know 2021 might still not be a special season but we've got people to be excited about on the team as far as like this team feels like it has a future not just because we got those guys but Pace didn't trade away the future to get them at the same time it no longer feels like everything is at stake this year that's true there's a a certain relief to that and at the same time you know if the Bears really struggle. I mean, I don't know. I don't know that Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy are guaranteed to be back. I think the plan would be for them to be back. But, you know, if, if things really go poorly for whatever reason, I, I don't know that they're totally, totally secure. I mean, it's been four years since we saw the Bears draft the quarterback and then fire their head coach. You know what I mean? So it's like at least that time it was the, the same general manager throughout that process. But I just it, it it's a very different feeling. And you're 100 percent right that Six or not even six months ago, three months ago, it was like this is going to be a desperation win as many games as you can to, to justify your job season. And now yeah. it's like, I think you just have to show hope and progress. Yeah. And, and, you know, for them to, to then, then 2022 will be the make or break year for them both. So, uh, yes. we'll have to, cause then their contracts are expiring. So they really are coaching and, and, you know, uh, playing for their jobs, uh, at that point. But, 
Um, you know, I don't feel like the pick alone bought them 2022, but it definitely made the road to 2022 a lot easier uh, for them, especially if, if Fields continues to uh, impress and progress uh, through the season because there's been nothing but like, I mean, yeah, he's had some, you know, had some struggles and stuff like that in, in, in OTAs and, and mini camps, but overall the reviews for uh, Fields have been glowing uh, up to this point. So if it keeps going this way, then you know, that very well could make 2022 an easier uh, road for, for Pace and Nagy to haul. And it's, it's going to make 2020 a more difficult road to manage the expectations and the, the narrative, or especially at training camp, if Dalton struggles at all and Fields is lighting it up. Yeah. That narrative and that, that storyline and that, that pressure from the outside. I'll be interested to see how, how Nagy kind of handles that. Because even like last year with Trubisky Foles, Training camp wasn't open to the fans and, and the public, really. So the only updates we got was what Matt Nagy would tell us, and he could pretty well control the message, you know, and kind of yeah. give us. And we kind of just had to take his word for it. But this year, will will be much more apparent before our very eyes to say, all right, this either Fields is is absolutely ready and dominating, and that's something Nagy needs to get on, or maybe maybe it does start to take Fields a little bit longer, and we do need to be patient. It'll be interesting to see. Yeah, I mean, that's what makes uh, the 14th against the Dolphins such an exciting uh, date to look forward to. You know, the first uh, home game for the Bears in, in you know, nearly two full years and, uh, uh, you know, the debut of Justin Fields in, in a uniform and uh, to see how he looks out there uh, against the uh, against the Dolphins and, and how that's all going to go. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it, it's getting closer, man. I mean, today is the 8th. Uh, of July, which means we've got five weeks between now and the 14th uh, and, and the start of the, the preseason and, and uh, starting to answer some of these questions about how is he going to look and how much is he going to play and how is Andy Dalton going to look? Is he going to keep Justin Fields uh, on the sidelines and by, you know, because he's playing well and, and being the guy that was a starter for 10 years and took the Bengals, the Bengals of all team uh, to the Super Bowl, or excuse me, the playoffs, not the Super Bowl, the playoffs, you know, uh, I think five seasons out of 10 uh, when he was there with Cincinnati and, and things like that. So um, I'm interested to see how it all uh, goes. And, you know, on, on the 29th, the day before the draft, I could care less about how I just wanted to get through it so we could move on to 2022 and and really, you know, get started with, uh, with the future and, and going forward. Uh, from there so I mean that's how big that weekend was is that now we actually have something to look forward to even if it isn't you know going to translate in the win column very much there is hope now and you know something to look forward to even if we struggle this year I think selfishly it makes this so much more enjoyable for us yes to talk about this team because you imagine if we're trying to preview this this schedule if it's just Dalton and Foles (laughs) in a quarterback competition I mean obviously I think they signed Dalton with the anticipation of drafting some kind of quarterback, but if it, even if it was Mac Jones, I don't know that I would be all that fired up about right. it. Yeah, or even if if we, uh, you know, had taken um, uh, who was that kid? You know, Kellen Mond or something in the second or third yeah, round. Second or third round. Or uh, who was that other quarterback? Um, Kyle went to, Trask. Or, well, Kyle Trask. Yeah, there was that, or uh, the kid that went to Houston. Um, Davis, oh something Davis. Davis Mills. Davis Mills, there you go. He was there was a hot rumor for a while that the Bears might trade back into the first round and get him with like pick 32 mm-hmm. uh, or something like that, you know, and that's that was that's the stupid trade the Bears were going to make to get their quarterback uh 
uh, and everything. So yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely, yeah, you're right. It's like that move alone, bringing in fields, uh, makes this a lot more interesting for us to talk about and look forward to because, you know, if we had done nothing, yeah, we, we maybe we, we drafted, you know, Shaw at 20 or if Tevin, Tevin Jenkins was there at 20, we take him as our first round pick. Maybe we get a project quarterback in the second or third round. Okay, fine, but it's not, you know, going to fire up the fan base to get excited about it. But the moves that Pace did make, Definitely fired people up, and we're looking forward to the to the year, uh, warts and all. That's why it. That's why it kind of feels like the Fields pick does save their jobs because if if they hadn't drafted Fields, if it's a developmental guy like Mond or, or Mills, or if or if it's just Dalton and Foles, like I don't know that I trust those combinations of quarterbacks to win enough games this season, right? To save their jobs, like it, I think to some extent it most likely will require fields to come out there and maybe it's not even about the wins he produces, but just the feeling and the hope and the optimism and the progress that he represents when he is on the field. Whereas if you make the change to, to Kellen Mond or Davis Mills is, is that going to be enough to sway the fan base and ownership to keep these guys in their position? Uh, I'm not so convinced. Right. No, I, I definitely agree. So, but there you go. There it is. We're uh, we're actually optimistic. Well, not so much optimistic, but looking forward to uh, the season and what it has to offer. Uh, lots of question marks out there. Uh, you know, we talked about the offensive line. Will they be able to gel together? Uh, you know, is Tevin Jenkins the guy uh, at left tackle? Uh, you know, or should he be a right tackle and we haul on to Leno or something like that? All of those questions will be answered as we as we go through this, you know, when will we see Justin Fields and like, and even going through the schedule, it's like, like you said, it's like, where is there a good spot to put him in? You know, it's like, so maybe if we're like four and five after the, the Pittsburgh game, we go into that week 10 by, do you want to start him against the Ravens? Is that a good idea? You know, or, you know, (laughs) but you also don't want to start him on a short week against the lions on Thanksgiving, you know? So it's just like, where do you slip him in. Is it before the bye when we play the Steelers or, you know, that kind of thing? Is like, is Andy Dalton even healthy? If the offensive line can't block, he might not stay healthy. Fields might get thrown out there, uh, you know, on because out of necessity as opposed to him actually being ready. So, I mean, those are all of the curveballs that can be thrown uh, this year that can kind of put this perfect plan the Bears have uh, into flux. I, I was, I was going to say, well, it's probably going to have to come off after, after a loss, like to make that decision clear for Nagy like against one of these better teams and then I was like well no uh Mitch Trubisky was <laughs> was was winning games when they made the switch to Nick Foles so maybe <laughs> maybe never mind there but because yeah. I, I was like well you know like you like it, it you have the mini buy after the Lions game so could you make the change then well no Dalton's gonna beat the Lions so would most likely should be beating the Lions so maybe not then but you know it's maybe it's not about the wins and losses and it's about will the change at quarterback elevate the level of play for the Bears and then at that right. point it could be anywhere Right. So, I mean, and with this seventh playoff seed, you know, who knows what it's going to take to get it because a 500 team made the playoffs last year. That was us, uh, you know. So, you know, here we go with an extra game uh, to use. How much will that impact how easy or difficult it is for somebody to make the playoffs uh, this year, even as a seventh seed, uh, you know, to get into the wild card round and such. So there's, there's a lot out there to, uh, to consider. That's what makes this fun, though. And like to to the, to the point earlier, like 
that's why we're so glad to have this to talk about right. and to, to be able to have this sort of excitement because we, we wouldn't have any of that. And we'd be talking about, I don't know, what, whether Dalton and Robinson can be the new A.J. Green for Dalton. You know what I mean? Like it, we, we, would be, we would be scrambling for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, but it's like the things that I've been hearing, you know, how Darnell Mooney is practically swooning over, uh, you know, uh, Justin Fields and how he knew that the second the ball came out of Fields' hands, it was going to be where he needed it to be to catch a deep ball and uh, and things like that. It's it's those little things right there. Number one, you didn't hear that during the Trubisky era. And number two, it's just like this is what we've been missing, hearing the players talking about how excited they are about being part uh, of this team. We really haven't heard anything close to that since 2018, uh, you know, when, when Nagy came in and the defense was setting the world on fire and we were, you know, winning games and running trick plays and just having a lot of fun uh, out there. That's been sorely missing these last two seasons. And, you know, maybe having this, this kid on the team is what's going to help uh, get some of that spark back. He does feel like he represents fun, right? I mean, like as much as he's very sort of serious and, and down to earth and, and, you know, kind of obsessed with football and locked in in that way, you know, he's not a personality in terms of fun, but right. he represents fun football to watch on TV because he was really fun to watch at Ohio State. It's kind of a, a weird dichotomy there. He's not doesn't seem like a fun person per se, but he represents bringing fun and energy back into this Bears offense in, in maybe a way that we've never seen before. And I have a feeling because I've, I've also, and I'm sure you've heard about this too, uh, in, the, in the mandatory minicamps, he was talking trash to the defense. You know, like he he was talking yeah. talking it up uh, with them uh, and everything. And, you know, here's this rookie who hasn't taken a snap in the league, and he's going to talk trash to Khalil Mack and Akeem Hicks and Roquan Smith, and you know, and all this. Like, dude, who does this kid think he is, man? You know, and then he just goes out there and he's zinging it around the field, and it's like, okay, kid, I'm going to ride with you. Let's let's get this done. You know, I just got to you know have a feeling he's going to bring something special to the team. I just I just have a feeling about it. It's it, that's a good differentiator there from Trubisky because I remember like like early in Trubisky's career everyone had great things to say about him you know he the way he sort of I, I don't remember exactly what some of the things that they said but it was all positive mm-hmm. but it seems like it's a little bit more specific and a little bit more uh it stands out a little bit more with, with fields in some of those really like again like specific ways whereas Trubisky was just like he's a good kid with good character and he's a nice guy and teammates all like him with Fields, it's like no he is he is already really commanding himself before he's even been the, named the starter. Yeah. I mean, who was it? It was that he was a, like an all-pro guard for the the Packers, and they cut him like a big surprise, and the Bears just jumped right in. Josh uh, Sitton. Sitton, that's it. I remember him talking about Trubisky and how he, like, he commanded the, the huddle. Like, they broke the huddle in a way that he didn't like, so he yelled at him and made him do it again. Uh, kind of thing like he brought them all back he re you know reset the play and then they broke it you know like all right let's break it with some authority this time and ready break you know everybody instead of like yeah okay whatever like whatever. he's like no 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 come back come back let's try that again you know here we go blah 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 you know running into the right on two ready ready break you know like all right that's better god damn it you know uh kind of thing it's like i heard josh sit and say something like that and this is a guy that just played for aaron Rodgers and everything talking up this rookie quarterback that's, you know, taking the field for the first time and, and, you know, doing what he can to, to be the leader of the team and everything. But I never, we never really heard anybody who was overall giddy to be playing with him. Like Darnell Mooney has been talking about, 
uh, Justin Fields, you know, uh, up to this point. So that's, that's what's really exciting. And, and what I'm really looking forward to seeing them make it happen on the field. I think so much of that comes from the the level of play on the field. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, like when, when Fields is talking trash to the defense, yeah. there's something behind it that the defense saw that deep ball to Demir Bird or whichever one he, there was one that they were all talking about after a practice one yeah, day yeah. where he just put it on a rope. And with Mitch, not that he was like visibly awful at, at practice, you know, it wasn't like he was bad and everyone was pretending that he was fine, but like there's, there's a difference there between the, the level of play that they're already seeing right away from Fields and the the level of play where Trubisky started, there was still that potential for Trubisky, but like Fields, at least in practice up to this point, is already farther along in that way to the point where it commands more of that respect from his teammates. Yeah, yeah, the the experience and such that everyone was worried Mitch didn't have is not an issue uh, for Fields because, like I mentioned before, he's literally done everything that Mitch uh, didn't even you know barely got a taste of in his uh, days at North Carolina. You know, obviously Ohio State, a much bigger school with a much higher uh, national profile and the talent levels that he's played with versus what Mitch had to work with at North Carolina and everything. It's night and day, literally night and day. Uh, not to mention that this kid is a brick house of, a, of an athlete. You know, it's just like he is just in an amazing shape. Not that Mitch wasn't, but, you know, Fields look like he's going to be the guy that's out there delivering blows instead of accepting them you know, kind of thing. Not that I would recommend that from my quarterback, but <laughs> that's the physique that this kid has. Like you can just tell football is important to him because he's put in the work. Add on top of it, the, the better supporting cast, the better mentor in quarterbacks and the better, presumably better offensive coaching staff. It's just like not only is Fields the better guy, the better quarterback, but he's in the much better position across the board too. It's, it's all, it all lines up so much nicely. Yes. So, and, and, and there in turn is why I've gone from, Patrick Mahomes mode to Deshaun Watson throw his ass out there you know because remember Tom Savage started the first game of the season uh his rookie year and then at halftime they pulled Savage and put Watson out there and he was the starter until he got hurt uh later on in the year so like, let's go with Watson just throw him out there let the magic happen out there on the field instead of sitting there with a baseball cap and a clipboard I want that kid out there earning his money instead of uh watching Andy Dalton so yeah. In that uh, case, Savage was always a joke from the start. And yeah, it was. I mean, Th- Dalton is to some extent, but not not as clearly right. a joke. Like everyone was like, "You're starting Tom Savage." Like at least Dalton has been a starter and was here first and QB once. I mean, there, there was a legitimate like you you believed for a little while there that Dalton was was going to be the Bears' quarterback option this season. So there's some there's some benefit of the doubt there that that that's legitimate. Whereas, I mean. Tom Savage come on (laughs) yeah it was that you're right that's I mean and and almost kind of like in the same uh same mold as uh you know Mike Glennon uh over Trubisky especially after the preseason that Glennon had uh leading up to it his first throw as a Chicago Bear in that preseason game against the Broncos, it's a pick six. It's like, come on, dude. Really? And then Mitch comes out, the, runs the two-minute drill before halftime and throws a touchdown pass. Uh, so I was like, okay, so here we are with this. Okay. But, um, yeah, so I don't think that Andy Dalton is Mike Glennon or anything close uh, to that, so it's not going to be as painful 
uh, watching him try to uh, do the job that was that you know is going to belong to Justin Fields someday, and uh, it's going to be up to him to decide, you know, for the most part when someday is. You know, will that be before the bye? Will it be after Thanksgiving? Will it be, you know, or will it be like Mahomes? He gets week 18 on the road against the Vikings to close out the uh, year and, uh, you know, get everybody excited about next season. Only time will tell. It sure seems like the Bears, I I, I don't know, I find myself, well, I guess I go back and forth. (laughs) I'm literally going back and forth now, like how much I believe Matt Nagy about wanting to be patient and and, and really Sticking to that, like if they're winning enough games yeah. with Dalton, are they going to feel that pressure? You know, like, like when they when they switched from Foles to Trubisky, it was like we're winning games, but we need our offense to be better so we can be even better this season. Yeah. But if they don't have that pressure to be even better this season right away with Dalton and Fields, you know, like you make if you're winning enough games, do you feel that pressure to say we just need to be better, or is it or is it purely about when Justin Fields should be on the field and then maybe? There is more room for patience. So I, I, I'm, I'm torn on that. Well, I'm, I'm torn on it because Nagy also has been leaving the door open at the same time. He keeps over saying things yeah, over and over again. So you've noticed it too, how he's always talking about, you know, we're going to be patient. This is the plan. He went on the Rich Eisen show and proclaimed it. You know, uh, uh, Dalton is the day one starter. We're sticking with the plan. It's a process, blah, 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 blah. But then, you know, on the other side of his mouth, he's saying, but we're not going to keep him on the bench just to keep him on the bench. We're not going to keep him off the field just for the fun of it and so on and so forth. If, you know, we're going to put him out there when he's ready, if that's sooner rather than later, then that's what's going to happen. But then again, boom, right back to the Andy Dalton's my day one starter. He's our quarterback. He's our starting quarterback and blah, blah, blah. He's mentoring, uh, you know, Justin Fields and, you know, but then throwing in that other, you know, bone that kind of makes us believe that there is a small possibility we might see Justin Fields week one against the Rams. So, uh, you know, he just keeps leaving that door open that if he comes in and blows the doors off in the preseason, then why wait? Part of me is afraid that at some point early in the season, we see a Justin Fields package. Yeah, I've, I've thought a- about that, too. Yeah. Yeah, that, that he might come in and like, you know, either short yardage where we can run like an RPO type thing or, a you know, a run option uh, type thing. Uh, or, or maybe even in the goal line because he is a you know he, that he did that very well uh, at Ohio State. You know, will there be a package out there to kind of wet our beaks, or you know, or what have you, or will it just will it speak to the progress that he's making that we got to start getting him some reps? He might not be ready to take over the game just yet, but we got to get him on the field and get him some game level competition. If he's ready to come on the field in some kind of package, then he should be ready to start. I mean, you know, right. go all in or all out. At this right. Point. I, I agree with you uh, on that one. So I, because because it would seem pointless if Andy Dalton was still the, our starting quarterback. Justin Field comes in for one of these packages and then he gets hurt. It's like, well, he could have been the starter, and it would you know it wouldn't it would still suck to see him get hurt, but it almost seems pointless for him to get hurt because he was running this package of plays, uh, kind of thing, as opposed to putting him out there as the starter and, you know, playing the game uh, kind of thing. So, And then he doesn't get into a rhythm and it disrupts Dalton's rhythm and it just doesn't seem like it really benefits 
I mean, unless you really think it's that critical to have one or two plays to help him get used to regular season speed, but I, I just don't quite see it. Well, in that case, it makes perfect sense for Nagy because that's what he does with David Montgomery all the time, so why wouldn't he do that <laughs> with our quarterbacks? You know, to hell with them getting into a rhythm. Get Justin Fields out there, you know, and so on and so forth. So, I don't know. It's uh, You never know. We'll see if Nagy's turned over a new leaf when it comes to play calling, uh, you know, and, and establishing some kind of rhythm uh, with his offense and his running game and, and, and everything like that. So, Lauren, I've taken up way too much of your time, man. I appreciate you uh, coming on and talking bears with me like you always do. Uh, where can we keep up with you uh, in the meantime? Yeah, of course, um, ramping back up to full five days a week here on the Lockdown Bears podcast. And, of course, always on Twitter at Cox Sports One. Recently added that blue check mark. So nice. I got my, uh, got my nice. VIP basket in the mail. It's a bottle Did of you really? So, no, no. Oh, no, dude. No. Don't get me excited get like that. No, it, 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 it nothing changes at all. Nothing. I promise. It's, it's, <laughs> you, you get a, a separate tab in your notifications where you can see only verified people's tweets at you. Okay. I'm, I'm not important enough to have verified people tweeting me sure. anyway, so nothing really changed. Okay. Oh, and I do want to say, um, rest in peace, your Allen Robinson clip. Oh, that had to suck, man. Yeah, I got an email. The The record company that has Sarah McLaughlin's In the Arms of an Angel oh, dinged. Sent, they sent me the whole list of every tweet from every video that was had used that, that they had all pulled the copyright from, including a couple of other <laughs> fairly big brands. So I didn't feel too bad like I was getting picked on. They really, they really went top to bottom down the list for everybody. Did you write that clip? What do you mean? Like the copy, like the 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 verbiage. Oh yeah, I did the whole thing. Awesome. About him. That was it. Was brilliant. It was so I still brilliant. Saved. What's that? It's not on Twitter anymore. Yeah, I still, well, have, a, I still have a, it's saved. I just I'm I sure can't post it on Twitter anymore. Yeah, but it's just like I just remember you when you you retweeted the like this video has been deleted, and I was like, what was that? And somebody said was the Allen Robinson clip, and I was like, no. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, my life's my life's work, my life accomplishment taken away from me. It's rough. <laughs> so, oh man, yeah, that was too bad. But um, yeah, we'll try to figure out uh, at some point how to uh, get you back. But if nothing else, we got the uh, the bye week. Uh, you know, the mid season review like that we that we like to do with you. Uh, so at the very least, we'll see you then. Hey, looking forward to it. Happy to do it every time. Thanks for having me. So there we have it, guys. Myself and Lauren Cox giving you the 2021 uh, Chicago Bears and, um, you know, breaking it all down from the disaster of a press conference back in January all the way up to now and uh, how we see the uh, how the season might be going and uh, and everything. I just um, I'm ready to get after it. I absolutely am uh, ready. And I'm actually really looking forward to these NFL shows uh, with Ross Jackson. We're going to cover the uh, both conferences and uh, see how that goes and uh, see how long that show might be because Lauren and I just did two hours on the Bears all by themselves. So uh, I don't know. Something tells me that the NFC show might be a little bit longer than the AFC show, but we'll cross that bridge uh, when we get to it. But uh, if you're still here, here in the end of this, you're a warrior and I appreciate you 100%. And if you're not, then, you know, I understand. It was two hours. It's a long time. 
or maybe you didn't get through it in one sitting. Maybe this is your second or third sitting to get through this. Thank you for making it uh, to the end. Thank you for being a listener. Thank you for being a fan. And uh, we got a little bit more. This is just the beginning, guys. Just the beginning. It's the end of the off season. It's the beginning of the, the actual season. So, uh, you know, this is, it is kind of an ending, but it's also a bridge to the, to the real beginning that we're all looking forward to. So um, that's going to do it for these opponent previews. Now we move on to the league, and then we'll move on to the actual season. So be sure to come back on Monday. Myself and Ross Jackson will be covering the AFC, all 16 teams talking about the, the you know their offseason and the outlook and, and what you can expect or what we think you can expect uh, and uh, from, from, the, uh, from the other conference. And then next Thursday, we'll be back to talk about our conference, our home conference, both of us, him for the Saints, me for the Bears. And, uh, you know, also we'll dabble with the West and the East, I guess, because we got it. But uh, uh, anyway, so come back on Monday for the first of the two conference previews. And until then, my name is Larry D, and this has been the Bears Talk Underground. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. 
crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more.